God, that's ridiculous. Hey, you gotta, it's the fun about social media. You, you know, you say what you want. You just gotta be ready for what comes at the end of that too, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, you know, conversation's conversation. People can say whatever they want. It's just, sometimes it's noise, sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's fun to engage. You know, the choice is each of our own, whether or not we want to engage with with people regarding certain things. So and it I can kinda, be good fun. I kind of noticed that about you. You do not seem like you are very easily triggered. I've noticed people try to kind of get under your skin and you tend to just keep kind of doing that little laugh of yours. <laughs> <laughs> I do because, you know, I, you know, I think I'm centered and, and I know who I am and I'm not really, I'm so focused, Daniel, and, you know, things are, um, I just don't allow that. You know, it's, we have control over how we're going to respond to things. And I feel like if it's not going to be a positive response to something, it's sometimes it's just not necessary to you know, use that energy in that way. You know, energy and time are two things that are our best gifts that we have. And I don't know, sometimes this stuff is just stupid. And sometimes it's just funny. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I see happening sometimes is so funny. I mean, I just you just got to laugh at it. So I, I tend to have a uh, really chill approach to that kind of thing, and uh, whatever, you know, whatever. At the end of the day, it's just you just gotta. It doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day. You know, sometimes it just it just doesn't. And sometimes certain opinions and perspectives are important for growth. So you got to take it with a grain of salt and kind of distinguish what's good and what's necessary versus what's toxic. And there are a lot of fucking toxic people out there. That's for sure. Have you always been more of the uh, mellow type, or when you were, did you have a temper when you were younger? Maybe it depends on the context. That's an interesting question. By the way, one thing I really appreciate about you, Daniel, is you really ask really good questions. I know we kind of skipped there, but but I, I I wanted to say that you you really are a very good you you ask a lot of good questions in that way, and you you're a very good listener too. That's a really uh, wanted to. Say that. So, oh, that's uh, because but, I have voices in my head that help me out. <laughs> <laughs> me too, for that matter. Oh my, that's nice. funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I've always been sort of chill. Uh, you kind of have to be. You know, it's it's always been part of my personality. But it depends on the situation because I think there's a time and a place and a proper way to use that energy. But I've always tried to channel that in a positive way. And, you know, we're we're so controlled as a society in general, and I'm surprised we're not. I'm surprised we don't have as much chaos as, I mean, we should have more chaos, actually. I mean, we really should. But people are very controlled. If you think of everything that we do, it's it's such under lockdown. I mean, even the way we drive, what we do in the morning time, everything, every little motion that we take is is a part of a controlled step or a state of being. And, yeah, I try to live within those parameters. But there are times when, you know, there's there's times when you have to escape that. It just depends. But you can always channel negative energy or energy that could lead to something that's destructive in a really positive way. So I've always tried to really be you know, aware of that. How about you? Because, you know, we can get charged up quick. So, I, you know, for me, I, I tend to exercise a lot. I'd rather take it out in an exercise than to uh, internalize it or externalize some of that because I think – even as men, we've, we're built with that testosterone, you know, we, we got to release it some way, you know, or we've got to have great sex. So we've got to get that energy out. How do you deal with it yourself? 
I I really don't. I just get really mad at people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not a loose cannon, you know. You you do you you channel it pretty well. I mean, I think you do a good job. You, with you that, know what but... it is, Max. To answer your question, this show is my outlet for that because I am nice. not this person in my normal life. I can get pretty crazy at work and in my normal life, but the really far out stuff, the ranting and the the anger, I save it for air because I I think that that's the way to do it. Compartmentalize your life, uh, stay professional in your job, and then have yeah. an outlet like this where you can just go off and say what you want. And what's sad is I'm finding it's harder and harder to be able to say what I want. Even back when we did the show, you know, five years ago, I felt like I could get away with more. And I, I always have these... Um, you can call them like social justice warriors. A lot of them are actual socialists now. They, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they don't. They get mad if you say something offensive, and they really do try to shut you down. Yikes! That's brutal. That's just uh, that's unfortunate. But you got to keep being you, and that's that's how I see it too, Daniel. It's like one of those things where we all have a voice, and we all have choice over how we share that voice with people. You do through your show. I do through cinema, sort of. I haven't really reached that level yet where I've really expressed myself every way that I want to with, with film because it's such a controlled platform. But I'm starting to experiment with that a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that um, there are many different ways that we are able to communicate and to express ourselves. You know, you, you do it through your show. I'm sure there's other ways that you do it, too, even you know, maybe publicly through the show. But I'm sure you've got your ways. Because I yeah, do. I think yeah. that's part of the reason why I do try to make jokes. I mean, they're, they're not all funny, but it gives me a way to make light of a very, a sometimes very serious and dark world that we live in. If I can laugh at it, I'm, I'm, I know this is pretty cliche, but it's just so true. If I can laugh at it, I can deal with it. Oh, right on to that. Salute to that. I completely co-sign everything you just said there. I, I take the similar approach. You just find a way to, because, you know, I think some of the best comedy in general is comedy, which you can, you say something that's offensive and real, but also make people laugh and cringe. So if you can make them laugh and cringe at the same time, I think you're really on point with comedy. And uh, I think that's life in general. There's a lot of fucked up stuff that's going on in the world right now. Every single day there is every single, every single second there is. So it's important to sometimes laugh about things and really appreciate you know the life that we do have because it is a, a wonderful thing and this does bring up something that we have kind of talked about before but you've mentioned that living in la being a part of that scene uh, there's a certain way you have to handle yourself there's it, it definitely pays to make friends right oh god where do i begin on this one this is a that's a deep topic well, yeah, and the problem is that I have find it very difficult to make friends out here. I find that a lot of people are very superficial. A lot of them are self-centered. It's a very, very big narcissistic environment where people are very toxic and they want something from you. It's almost like a bunch of vampires leeching after you. Uh, there's a very big dependency on status. And what do you do for a living? And, you know, what do you do for work? By the way, I'll have to get into dating later. That's one of the questions that I despise when people ask that or uh, when I... Do you still have the Camaro? 
<laughs> I do not. Actually, uh-huh. I, it's funny. It's funny that you remember that. That's crazy. I I actually got rid of that thing. I got I was getting pulled over literally all the time. Like every few months, I would get pulled over in areas uh, because it, I had it pimped out too. I had like the rally stripes. And, oh. oh God, it was such a fast. It was a. It was just a great car. I love that car, and I still do. I love American muscle cars. However, uh, I went with something more practical, especially with my because people were. Uh, it was just it was just a pain <laughs> in the ass. People were trying to race you, right? There was that, which was fun because you there's some pretty great cars out here in terms of uh, you know, if you want to have a little race, it's a good place to do it. Yeah, but but yeah, I mean, it just drew the wrong type of attention. I found. And, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe I'll jump into something like that or have something. Well, well, Max, you didn't have to go 100 miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) And which is easy to do. You don't have to press the pedal pretty hard to do that. But let me tell you what, I was paying too much damn money on gas, man. I mean, I had to (laughs) just, it was was ridiculous trying to fill that tank all the time because that had a V8. (laughs) Yeah, you get stuck in that L.A. traffic. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's the thing. You go literally five to ten miles per hour all the time, and you're like, "What the hell do I have this fast car?" But it was cool because, you know, it is. You could get up and you could you could get from point A to point B very quickly. But you know, it just drew the wrong type of attention. So it is what it is. Also, I didn't like the uh, the per- the technology in it was a little outdated when I had it. So the newer lines that start coming out, and I was like, "Do I go more professional?" Just more me, more like you know, some a little more tech, or something that was still a you know a fast muscle car. So yeah, I see them all the time now, and I'm like, God damn! Especially like even the Challengers. Some of those muscle cars are just classics. But yeah, I, I had to I had to change up the. So what uh, are you in now? Five. A hybrid or? I went with a Mazda, man. I I I, I kept it real simple. Yeah. I, was sold, got a good, got a good warranty, got something that had good gas mileage. I was going to get a hybrid, but I live in an apartment, so couldn't plug the damn thing in. So I didn't want to sit there and deal with people at you know Whole Foods or Starbucks or whatever they have those damn stations to charge the thing. So I just said, uh, forget it, and I just went with something with really good gas mileage that's practical and that I can lug equipment in rather easily and gets me from point A to point B. That's you know. Uh, good warranty. The basics. I keep it kind of simple, you know. And uh, one thing yeah. that one thing that has kind of changed in the last, oh, I don't know, ten, fifteen years is uh, before there used to be all these different companies producing stuff, and, and now it seems like Disney owns everything. No, I know, right? It's crazy what Disney has done in terms of kind of taking over the market. But to Disney's credit. I mean, they're putting out a lot of great stuff, and it's interesting because I think you're seeing that with a lot of bigger companies. Uh, these big mergers are happening. Where I mean, that's what really killed the radio industry because you had you know big names and you know hedge funds supporting things, and obviously you know Clear Channel. You, I mean, I could let me not get into that, but obviously you know these companies will buy out all of these other companies and then go bankrupt or file bankruptcy. And then you're left with nothing. And then, you know, the hosts get weeded out and it just becomes a clusterfuck. I hope that doesn't happen with film. And, you know, I, I think it's cool that 
more films are getting made, especially along the superhero lines. Uh, but um, we'll see what happens with these big mergers. You know, it, they can be good or they can be really, really bad for business and for just, you know, the competition. You know, you got to have competition, I think, with anything. And when names get too big, usually greed starts to set in. And sometimes you end up getting a really watered down product. But with Disney, I'm kind of happy about some of the things that they're doing, especially in the superhero world. They're really killing it. Oh, yeah. Those uh, superhero movies, my God, they just keep getting better and better. What do you think of the DC Universe? I'm sure you've heard of this. What do you think of the DC Universe movies getting canceled? Yeah, that's... um, I'm torn on that. I, You know, Marvel's really kicking ass. I mean, the superheroes are just more entertaining. And I think the stories resonate in the way these films have been, have been just awesome on all levels. And I mean, you've got yours that are some that are just average and mediocre, but they're just been really, really fun films. Whereas DC, I think sometimes it's a little bit too serious and the, the character development, the story arcs aren't really compelling um, as much. So in my opinion, at least. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that whole world. I do like some of the DC stuff, so I don't know. I'm torn. I, I love superhero movies in general. I think the whole idea of a superhero is awesome. Uh, but I think we need new ones, too. And, and that's one of the things that I think, you know, whether it's been DC or Marvel, struggled with is presenting new ones. All of the, a lot of them are just based on old comics. I'd love to see some new developed characters and some new character arcs. I'd like to see more uh, stronger female characters. I'd like to see more people of color and all different types of individuals, you know, that are capable of becoming superheroes. I think you're starting to see that a little bit more. So that's been great because I think people feel more engaged with the stories and they can connect to these, these characters a little bit more. But um, the one problem that I think a lot of superhero movies have is how do they define the villain, you know, and, and, Sometimes, I mean, villains can, can be very boring sometimes. So it's a weird dichotomy where do you cheer for the superheroes or do you cheer for the villain? And I love a good villain. Oh, you know, you know what kind of villain I like, Max? Yeah, I'm I, curious. I, I was just going to ask you. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like the type of villain who really believes he's doing the right thing and that you can almost relate to just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That quality, I think, is so important in storytelling. In general, it's, that's, you know, a villain doesn't always start out as a villain. And I think that, and, and that doesn't make a villain bad either. You know, I think it's interesting when you have a villain that you can relate to and you can see their vulnerability and get a feel for their backstory and why or how they became a villain. Because really, we're talking about two different choices, Daniel. And, you know, again, coming back to that control thing. Do you choose to use your power in a way that hurts people or do you choose to use your power in a way that helps people? Or are you sort of in the middle where you tried to help people, but in the process of trying to help people, you hurt people? It's an interesting dichotomy, right? And do you have a favorite superhero or superheroes? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's kind of hard because... I wouldn't really say my favorites are necessarily on screen. 
yeah. my one of my favorites is the Silver Surfer. He was in a movie, <laughs> but they just didn't really do him justice. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. What did you like about the Silver Surfer? That's what... <laughs> <laughs> well, I started liking Silver Surfer when I was a kid, and yeah, um, yeah I, I guess I mean, it was because he was so strong. Right, right. Do you think they'll come out with a movie with, uh, you know, the Silver Surfer, and you know, something that's compelling? I mean, I mean, you're, we're talking that that. I mean, we might see Marvel do that. So, I, I don't know. Do you think it's possible? Yeah, you know, I think that that has something to do with the whole drama between Marvel or Disney more specifically and Fox. Fox owned Mm -hmm. a lot of the licenses, and they're in the process of kind of working out little deals now, which is fantastic for the fans because they're going to be able to see some of these characters that were kind of being held captive by Fox um, in, in the new Disney movies, like the Avengers stuff and stuff like that. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool that you mentioned the Silver Surfer. It made me it made me think back, uh, <laughs> it, it, back to the comic book years, and uh, that's cool. That's cool. I wasn't expecting you to say that. It's pretty uh, pretty badass, right there. Yeah, I had to give you an honest answer. I mean, that's that Silver Surfer used to be my favorite superhero. I had a poster of him in my wall when I was a kid. Me too. That's crazy. What? I, yeah, one of them. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a bunch of cool posters. You yeah. had the Silver. You had a poster of the Silver Surfer. Yes, yes, I did. Yes, I did. I might have to find a picture. I might even have an old picture of that picture of that picture. <laughs> I'm about to, about to check because um, I was really, really into that stuff. And it was funny because I used to draw. I mean, he was one of the ones that I used to draw. Like I used to draw a lot. So I used to try to draw at least. But, you know, I think when you look at comics, it makes you want to sketch. So I used to remember just the uh, the eyes and, you know, the, the whole uh power uh you know just that I, I always find like cosmic power and that whole thing to be kind of unique uh in general um so yeah yeah i'm kind of surprised you said that do you have any others uh yeah i i was really into spider-man when i was a kid mm-hmm. i liked spider-man yeah. because he would be cracking jokes the entire yeah. time he was getting his ass kicked yeah oh absolutely <laughs> yeah how do you think of what do you think about the characters always changing well well actually i want to ask you two-part question like what do you think about the fact that, you know, obviously all these superhero movies are played by so many different people. So you get all these different versions of Spider-Man or Batman or Superman. What do you think about that? And two, what do you think about the current Spider-Man? Now, that's a great question because I was thinking about that the other day. And I I hate it. I hate when they keep going through different actors. It really completely disconnects you from the character. And that is part of the reason why Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man is just so endearing. He's been in like yep. 50 movies. Yep, 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 absolutely, yeah. And as yeah. far as the, the new kid that's playing the Spider-Man, I, he seems like he's pretty good. I, I yeah. have no issue with him. I think he does that character to a T. Yeah, yeah the last one was good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I was surprised. Uh, so I'm, I'm with you on that. It should be interesting to see what happens. Hopefully they can keep some of these, you know, the actors, I mean, that's the, always the problem. And then, you know, the directors change, so you get, like, all these different versions of the films. And I feel it's kind of hard to really stay connected with them because it changes so much and so quickly. And then the release dates are so far out that by the time you watch one of them, you're, you're like, oh, man, this is awesome. But then, you know, two years from now, it's butchered. So it's like, fuck. No, and, it's- and, you know, um, that is a great point because – 
this whole thing with, uh, you know, I know everybody's already talked about this ad infinitum, but Roseanne, I loved those characters back in the yeah. day. I used to watch that show when it was in syndication every day. I'd come home from school, watch Roseanne, watch a couple of them. And when yeah. they came back, it was so great because those were the same characters that we loved coming back and giving us new content. And it just right. makes the whole thing just hurt all the more. Max, what do you think of that whole Roseanne fiasco? Oh, my God. I was just blown away by that. Uh, I loved that show. I cannot tell you. It was just a great show. I think everybody could connect with the overall premise of it, too, you know. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean... It's unfortunate some of the stuff that she had uh, said there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, people say how they feel, and and you know, we have the freedom of speech. So, you know, she said how she felt, and that's that's it. You know, I, I don't really, I don't really make a lot out of these situations with people when they say things, and you know, they they say something that somebody might be considered to be racist or whatever the hell it may be. People say how they fucking feel. Some people don't. And, you know, when somebody does, hey, that's their perspective. Let them have it. You know, it doesn't doesn't affect how I think about the show. Um, I'm not I don't know these individuals. I never do. And I feel like, you know, because we watch people on the screen so often, we feel like we have a relationship with them. We feel like, you know, they have to behave a certain type of way. People are like this with athletes, too. They have to behave a certain way. Or if they say this, I won't like them anymore. And all this other bullshit. All I know is that she's a good actress. She did a hell of a job on, you know, the show. She's funny sometimes. And I don't really have a perspective other than that, you know, and, and obviously she said some things that offend people and she won't be the first and she sure the fuck won't be the last. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's <laughs> my thought on it. Uh, yeah. Very really true. Care. She is not the only one. In yeah. fact, that's how she originally became popular, was being yeah. kind of a little bit of a troll, even though that word didn't really exist back then. She was, her and Tom Arnold were, were uh, mooning people. She did yep. the thing with the national anthem. She's always yeah. kind of been like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't really care about people's political perspectives or their who they support and all that stuff. Like, that's their own American right. And that's their own hum, human right. You know, you can support who you want and think what you want and believe what you want and relate to who you want. That's, I don't have an issue with that. I really don't. So, you know, people get all worked up and they start tweeting about things and calling people all kinds of names online. And like, you can't even tell a joke now. You can't even tell a racist fucking joke and, you know, not have the wolves after you. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's good. It gets the internet, it gets people's juices flowing and, you know, people are who they are. I think that's important to, really uh, understand and at the end of the day we don't know who the fuck these people are and why care that's my thought of it i mean i i just don't care enough to really get too involved in those kinds of discussions you know what i mean so how do you feel about that stuff i mean and then plus and like you said daniel it's like one of those things where people wouldn't be where they are on tv if they didn't say things that that were controversial sometimes I mean, you have to think about how, like you said, how people become who they are. It's not by usually being politically correct. And comedy is one of those things where you, you got to cross the line sometimes. And I don't know. I think we've turned comedians into pussies sometimes. So excuse my French, but it's just the truth. Like, you have to be able to say how you feel. You have to go out on a stage and offend people and and say things 
just speak your fucking mind. And it's going to resonate with some people and some people are going to laugh and some people are going to cringe. And it's nice when you find that line, like I said, between those people who laugh but also cringe but realize, you know what, they've got a fucking point there with that. So I've always loved comedy for that reason. And people who have the balls to step out there and say how they feel, I always have respect for them. Whether I agree or disagree, we have that right in this country. And, you know, however people want to utilize their right to the freedom of speech, let them use it. What do you think? <laughs> Sorry, got a little winded there. Cause, uh, I totally agree with you. Like I was saying earlier, it's just getting worse and worse all the time. I remember yeah. when people could be a little bit controversial. Um, you know, one one thing that specifically comes to mind are the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure oh. movies, and <laughs> yeah. I, every so often, they'd they'd uh, one of their jokes was they'd look at a character, they'd go thug, thug, yeah. thug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's good comedy. That's that's fun. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't. What do you think about Roseanne? I mean, the, I don't really have too much of an opinion uh, based on. Yeah, that I I think she's a good entertainer and yeah. I, I guess to be perfectly honest, I did kind of jump off her bandwagon because um, I I just loved the show so much, and then yeah. I felt like she ruined it for all the other actors, and I I just really got pissed off at her for just being so dumb and and saying something that I did find to be to be wrong, wrong to say. I don't think that you oh, should. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think right. you should say things like that. I mean, I said all kinds of offensive things on Twitter, on this show, but I've never really uh, gone to that level or said anything like that. I don't really find that to be funny per se. Yeah. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting, I mean, what she said, it was ignorant. And I think that in my opinion, and I think that um, that's unfortunate because uh, you, you do have to wonder how people really, what they really think. And I think, what people really think is often what comes out of their mouth. I mean, we're, we're not, you know, we're not tricked into what we say. So, I mean, if she feel that way. And then I think one of the things that was really disappointing is, you know, when you look at, you know, the little um, African-American actress that she worked with, you know, that mm. probably didn't, didn't, you know, wasn't, didn't well roll over too well. And obviously she caught some hell for that, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, what can you do at the end of the day? You have to apologize, realize that people are human. They make mistakes and then, you know, move on from it and, and hopefully uh, they can grow from the experience. And, and that's where I stand with things. You know, people are going to say things that offend people. Hopefully they're not doing it intentionally. And hopefully if they do offend people, they recognize that they can see where they've offended people and understand, which is, goes back into empathy and being empathetic about those things. And maybe they apologize for it. Or maybe they grow from it in, a, in an entirely different way. Well, hey, Max, uh, yeah. I, can, I can only guess that um, when you were younger and the world was a different place, I can only guess that you have had people throw racial slurs at you. Oh, all the time. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and in the, the little borough that I grew up in, I was like, we were the only black family. So I, my, my neighbors were so racist. I remember my neighbor was so racist that he used to call the police whenever my sister and I would be, or, or, you know, some of my neighbors, we'd be out playing home run derby and the ball would go into his yard and he would call the police like each time. I heard racial slurs all the time. I'm going to tell you a quick story here. I remember going out in the middle of the night with a couple of my buddies, um, another one of my, uh, black friends 
uh, one of my white friends and there was a couple girls and we stayed in this small part of Pittsburgh called Brentwood is really actually sort of known for being somewhat uh, not too friendly with the race dynamics there. So we were there. It was about three o'clock in the morning and it was great. I mean, we had a fun time. We brought out the Ouija board and all kinds of crap. We talked about ghost stories. It was one of those beautiful nights where you look up, you could see every star in the sky. And that's rare for Pittsburgh because it's always so damn cloudy. But, but you could see every star in that sky and you could hear crickets chirping and all kinds of just really wicked, you know, insects at night. And it was great because we all had the most fun laughing, all different types of things, some other things that I won't, uh, I won't mention you know it was it was fun it was it was teenage years so uh you know it was early morning time and everybody kind of went their own way and i remember walking to the trolley stop because in pittsburgh they still run trolleys like in san francisco and some other cities which was really cool so i remember walking to the trolley stop and it was it had to be daniel i think four o'clock five o'clock in the morning with one of my friends and we were just walking and talking and talking about how fun it was just to hang out. And out of nowhere, you just heard out of, out of somebody's house, you heard niggers go home, niggers go home. So it was wild because, you know, I looked at my buddy at the time and we were just like, man, I mean, it's, you, you never, you wouldn't expect to hear that, especially that morning. But I mean, you just don't expect that as a child growing up to hear so much racism to be around so much racism, but I've experienced it so much. It was like a major part of my childhood experiences. And I think you can take it one of two ways. You can grow from it or you can let it corrupt you. And I've grown from it. And I love the fact that, you know, my life is really diverse and I'm in a diverse place and around diverse mindsets. So that's a quick story. That's the quick version of that story. I wish I could get into the Ouija part. That was kind of creepy, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was cool because we summoned up. Let me real quickly, we summoned up a spirit, and I remember one of the girls there. She was telling us a story about how a group of her friends went through a tunnel that's haunted now because there was an accident that happened in the tunnel where a couple kids were killed. So now there was like a certain thing that would happen when you would go through the tunnel and you close your eyes. You would uh, I forget it was like some weird thing that would happen uh, where you'd lose control of your car for a second or something. So we'd summoned up that spirit. And uh, from that point forward, I'd never thought of Ouija boards the same way. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a really fun experience. But with racism, man, you experience it all the time. People are just going to be who they are. And it's unfortunate because a lot of times it's due to their own ignorance and now wait the the spirit that you summoned wasn't racist Uh-oh. too was it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I tell you one thing. I, I <laughs> oh, that's that's funny. Oh shit. <laughs> well, uh, I, hope I, not. I do like that story though because you know I was watching a video the other day and this uh, lesbian couple they were walking along the street and this guy he tries to like run them over with his car and then he gets out and they're having like this verbal altercation and they really weren't doing doing anything he just saw them and he hated them and he he started acting like an animal and it's really sad that there's people out there that have so little self-control even this day and age that they'll actually go after other human beings in such an aggressive fashion yeah it's 
it's brutal. You have to wonder where that comes from. It's it's the why, and and not so much the how. It's the why, and 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 what's what was the reason behind all that, and the what, and ask questions about that because usually it comes from a lot of different things like fear and misunderstanding or maybe a bad experience. You know, you have sometimes you have people have bad experiences that traumatize them and they never get over that experience. And unfortunately it leads to them behaving and, and they choose make poor choices. And uh, that's unfortunate. And race stuff is so silly. I mean, we're at the end of the day, we're all humans. We're all on this planet and it sucks that we're so domestic and have been stuck on this planet. Hopefully that changes or, you know, uh, we have some type of, noticeable interaction with uh, the unknown and, and other life forms that are out there because, you know, people are just so damn domestic. We just, we're like hamsters in a cage sometimes that just attack each other eventually over stupid stuff like one hamster being brown and one being white and one being, you know, a mix. It's stupid. I, I find that to be rather uh, limiting and unfortunate because there's so much to appreciate about life and people and differences I mean, who the fuck would want to be in a room full of all of the same people all of the time? I wouldn't personally. Would you? Uh, no, no, absolutely not. There, there's something to be said for um, having conversations with people that are completely different than you. Absolutely. How, how else are we supposed to learn or grow or evolve? In fact, it's a natural part of the human experience. If it wasn't, we wouldn't have that opportunity right now to do that. So why people limit their lives in a way that just prevents them from having those experiences is really unfortunate. But to each, to each, each his or her own, uh, I personally try to really embrace those experiences and, and appreciate the differences that people have. Absolutely love it. Do you? I mean, do you try to? Do you try to? Um, you seem like a pretty open-minded guy, especially in terms of you know peer group and things like that. I mean, you have me on the show, which is rare because you don't hear a lot of African American people on the show. You know and radio or talk radio in general so you don't even get those perspectives off them yeah and uh, you know i've i have run into problems with that because uh, the truth is that most of the people out there on the circuit writing these types of books and being involved in it they're they're older white men and i've i've yeah. gotten flack for um you know you know nobody's specifically said daniel why don't you have more african-americans on the show but they have said daniel why aren't there hardly any women on the show it's like you have 80, 90% guys, and then when I look at the listener stats, it's like 60, 70% guys, and that kind of bums me out because I don't feel like I'm reaching everybody. Yeah, yeah, I feel you on that. I think film's the same way in that in that regard. It's kind of a challenging thing when you look at the different generational differences, too, as well. There's a lot that plays into it uh, in terms of, like, people who are interested in certain topics or, or are involved in certain topics or certain areas of life or certain professions even. And uh, a lot of that is reflective of the world that we live in and just how inclusive it is in certain areas and, and how non-inclusive it is in other areas. It's kind of um, unfortunate in that way. And, uh, you know, you can only, it, like, like I said, I mean, it's it's like one of those things if, if you're talking about a certain topic and you only can pull from a certain group of people, then that's all that you have access to. And that's just the nature of it. You know, you can't do anything about yeah, that. Yeah, And it, it does also go back to the thing that you were talking about earlier, where it's hard to do comedy anymore because comedy generally, 
uh, you know, when you when you pull something, when you push the envelope, it tends to be funnier. A lot of what I was doing is I would make fun of feminists a lot and feminism, and I just didn't understand that I was actually offending people out there. There's a lot of women out there that hold these ideals very close to their heart, and I've had to really kind of look at that and say to myself, well, maybe I shouldn't be saying some of these things. Maybe I need to kind of grow a little bit. Salute to that. That's, you know, hats off to you for that because I think that's a healthy way to, to look at it. And, uh, yeah, feminism is an interesting topic, isn't it? Because uh, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that. It's interesting thing about that is it's, it's really easy to offend people when you, when, especially men, I find that, uh, our voices in, in today's society are often very suppressed and men are absolutely from my experience, very petrified to share any perspective that has to deal with women and female behavior without getting killed or being called misogynistic or being called whatever it may be. And it's very hard to be pro-masculine or pro-male or just to have a different perspective regarding men issues and issues that are really important to men without getting slammed in the process. I mean, it is very, very difficult. Even when you look at uh, femininity and, and, you know, any type of counterpoint or perspective of it, you know, it's you're swimming, you're going to be swimming pretty deep in the deep end with the sharks if you start talking about those types of things as a male in our society, unfortunately. And yeah, I'm very, very, true, very, very masculine. So how do you feel about that? Sorry, I... I can go. I really feel strongly about this this particular topic. I know that's something you may not have wanted to discuss, but no, no, I'm totally fine with it. Um, I, I like talking about this stuff. I like taking things a different direction, especially when it's you know a little bit political or societal. Um, one thing that does bother me, and I've seen this play out over and over again, it it does seem like if you are a woman and you want to just be a mommy and be a housewife. That's not good enough anymore. You get called a loser. You get called a slave to men. You're being oppressed. You need to free yourself. That really bums me out because that's kind of something that I've always wanted growing up was I wanted to have a traditional house with a uh, daddy, a mommy, and some kids, and, and the wife you know, stays home and cooks and cleans. But it's, it, that's almost offensive in itself to say that. Yeah, it's interesting, right? It's really interesting how we – view that now and you know quote unquote the old nuclear household uh it's it's fascinating and, and it's a weird world we live in now where you know we grew up in an era where it was really unfortunate for women and men but it was really unfortunate for women though i think in a lot of different ways there were some things that were just really messed up particularly in the workforce um in, in, in just a lot of different areas, right? I mean, that's been the case for a long time. That's also been the case <clears throat> for different ethnicities, too, as well, unfortunately. I mean, America's never been 100% fair. It's it's an experiment. It really is. And it's growing and we're evolving and we're changing things. And hopefully we start to craft out a world that feels more fair and is more fair for everybody. I don't know if you can ever be 100% fair, but I think that most decent thinking people want that to be the case. When you talk about households, it's really weird because we grew up, like I grew up, my father 
and mother. They both had to work, right? Mm-hmm. But there were some tra- what we call traditional roles, gender roles, that were part of their household. I don't know if they liked those roles. I, I don't think that they did. I don't think my father liked going to work all the time and being at work all the time and not being able to spend a lot of time with his children. And I don't know if my mother wanted to necessarily be, you know, making dinner after work and all these different things like that. And it, you know, it was just a very difficult, I think, a household in the world. And I think people just kind of worked with whatever worked for them, right? So you had this weird dichotomy where, you know, the male brought in the income, more of the income at least, and, you know, had more opportunities. And uh, the females, you know, took on those, those really household roles. Now, does that work in today's society? I don't really think so. And I'm, I don't feel either way about it. People can do whatever they choose or whatever they feel is best. I certainly personally would want to be with a woman who had a sense of purpose in herself. I clean after myself, cook after myself. I do most things. I've been really independent. So I, I don't want to have like another mother, you know, have that feeling when I'm in a relationship with somebody. If I was talking about if I was going to be involved with somebody romantically and and we were going to have that type of, you know, kind of uh, an agreement, because I do think relationships are a series of agreements. And some of those agreements that happened in the previous generation don't really align with today's society. And that's probably a fucking good thing, um, because I think now we're in a world where hopefully men and women are starting to become more evenly yoked in terms of their uh, ability to work and to provide for each other. And hopefully I think now we're starting to redefine what a partnership looks like because the world has changed in a lot of good ways and a lot of bad ways too. But, you know, I think there's this weird phase now where we're all trying to figure out what role we should play in our own households. And I always, uh, when I, talk to females, especially if I'm trying to date somebody, I'm like, well, how do you see things? And, and then usually they'll discuss how they feel about things. And, and then I, you know, will, I will obviously communicate how I feel about things, but I'm really all for a 50, 50 lifestyle. I feel like that's the only way you can have a fair partnership because I find that a lot of our generation, Daniel, man, I tell you what, there's a lot of families where women were fucking drinking and men were drinking. They were so unhappy with each other. You know, they stayed together because they had to stay together. They had kids that probably way too early and they couldn't fucking afford them. And we still have that happening now. But, you know, and, you know, people tried to make it work, but they couldn't get divorced. They couldn't go anywhere else because they literally couldn't fucking survive if they didn't have that other person in their life, even if they hated the other person. So I'm seeing a lot of relationships from older people that, you have those ones that, you know, have been together and in love for years, and that's a wonderful thing that they've been able to work that out. But then you see the other side of that where it's like, you know, there's been some really toxic households and families where people have been together for 20 or 30 years. And if they were in today's society, they could have stepped out of that relationship, and it probably would have been a lot healthier for not only themselves, but also for their children. What do you think about that? I, I gave you an earful there, but I mean, <laughs> this is a very complicated topic, and I think Nowadays, like our generation, we're trying to figure out how how we how we navigate uh, because a lot of things have changed and the the relationships that we observed before a lot of those relationships weren't healthy and 
the relationships that we see now, I don't know if they're even healthy. Yeah, yeah. So. Max, you, you made uh, so many good points there. Um, one thing that I can add to that is that I do agree with you, um, even though I do kind of ha- – I've always wanted to have that traditional type of household. At some point, yeah. I realized that's just not realistic nowadays. Uh, women, they they almost have to work because the the government, the uh, monetary system has put so much pressure on everybody to be able to afford anything that both spouse basically have to work for you to even pay a mortgage and be able to eat and and turn your heater on and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a hell of a point right there. It's made it almost impossible for people to do. Really, we're getting squeezed so much. Uh, so and- when I'm so when I'm going on the uh, the Tinder or, or the <laughs> what's, oh, the, what's I, the other one uh, Bumble oh, and yeah, and yeah. Uh, Plenty of yeah. Fish and and stuff yeah. like that. Well, I'm I'm. Sometimes I'm peeking down at that section, the occupation section, and, and, and seeing what the the lady herself does, and, and uh, if that's going to be enough. <laughs> Absolutely, it's true. It's important. By the way, Daniel, it's interesting that you say that. You talk about, you know, have you ever thought about why you would uh, prefer a more, I guess, I mean, I hate to say traditional because I don't even know what that means nowadays. What was traditional? Is it what? What is your idea? Probably should start with what's your idea of like a traditional household? Well, okay. Well, that's easy for me to answer. I've always thought that the relationship between uh, a child and their mothers is so important. Uh, Of course, the relationship between a child and their father is equally important. But during those early formulative years, spending a lot of time with mom, I I think, is just so important for a kid to uh, be be developed and, and grow up to be a happy child and and to remove that it just seems very unnatural yeah it's that is an interesting perspective i uh i think in the ideal world a child would have an opportunity to spend equal amount of time with both parents and i feel that uh it's very hard nowadays to even have that kind of dynamic with people having to work and spending half or fourth of their lives at, at work. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I think both are really critical. And, and I, I definitely think they, they both have importance in a lot of different ways, uh, for sure. And, and psychologists will tell you that too, as well. So, you know, we, we are a, a society where if you think about it, a lot of us walking around work, weren't able to have those types of relationships, you know, in some, we can't remember it. I mean, I think we're affected by the society that we live in that has pulled us away from having really close relationships with both parents. Some people are unfortunate enough to have two parent households. So first and foremost, you got to have healthy, emotionally healthy parents that, that actually can raise a child properly and provide the type of healthy lifestyle that a child needs, but also, you know, so there's so many different things that go into raising a child that I don't think a lot of people think about. But I, I feel you on that. I think the relationship with the mother is important. But I really do want to emphasize that I really believe that the relationship with the father is even that much more important. And if it wasn't, you know, women could have relation, you know, women could have babies by without a without a man, and 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 vice versa. So I, I do think that that there's a delicate balance there with that relationship. That's equally as critical on both parts and different in good ways on both parts, 
uh, too, as well, as long as both people raising that child are emotionally healthy and able to provide a child the type of environment that it needs to survive and thrive in the world. So it's it's fascinating. Okay, I'm going to hit you with some controversy. I love controversy, man. I, I'm glad that you are. And I mean, I got to get back into the dating thing, too. We got to talk about that because... I tell you one thing, man, that's, ooh, that's another topic. <laughs> <laughs> so the one of the things that I've been seeing on social media, and a lot of people are very polarized by this entire topic, there's all of these kids that are becoming uh, transgendered at a very, very early age. In fact, <laughs> in fact, there was a... There was one one kid, I think he was like a seven to nine-year-old boy. I think he was like nine. His name is Pride Kid, and he, he wears like a wig and stuff like that. And some people are criticizing that. They're saying that, that something like that sexualizes a child or that uh, it is being forced on them, that they should wait until they're older. What do you think about that? Oh, my. He really went there, huh? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, I think with transgender, this is a new, I'm really starting to form my perspectives of this now. I'm, I'm just more in an observation mode. I can't relate, so I don't have much of an opinion because it's not my place to have an opinion about. And uh I know that's kind of a boring answer, but it's really how I feel about that. I, I don't know. I, I'm. You know, I've I've talked to a couple of transgenders. I don't really have a lot of transgender. I'm not really around. I mean, I'm in L.A. You see transgender all everywhere, but I don't. I haven't really had that interaction with a transgender, nor have I had one in a family member or as a friend, a close friend. So I, it's like an area that I'm sort of ignorant about whether or not kids, you know, adults are making these decisions for kids or allowing them to change their bodies at an early age, I think that is a really, really delicate area and something that could lead to catastrophic problems psychologically and um, and emotionally and and just physically. So, uh, you know, I'm ignorant on that topic, but also uh, I don't want to be judgmental because I think people do have the right to do what they want to do with their bodies and to choose who they want to have, you know, intimate relationships with what's concerning is how early does a parent allow a child to make that decision? I think that's really a tricky question and something where I would, I would, uh, I think depends on the household and is a intimate conversation between a husband and a wife or whomever, or, uh, you know, whomever, whoever is the parent of that child and the child itself. But I, I do think that we have to be wise about these things and not allow kids to really just start, you know, chopping off body parts and things like that at an early age because they haven't really developed their mind yet. I mean, if you look at a child's development from a, you know, from a, a brain standpoint, you know, in terms of like cognitive thinking and, and all of the different growth processes, it's really tricky to, you know, to say, hey, at age nine, 
go ahead and chop off your penis. You know, that's like, that's a, that's pretty brutal. Uh, so I do think we need to start to be really aware of that and allow, uh, define what an adult is and, and when that ages and then allow people to have the freedom to do what they want with their bodies if that's what they want to do because that's part of the American privilege that we have. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because it's, that is a really, really challenging and tricky topic there, man. Oh, I mean, damn. Can you imagine? I, I, being like damn it, I didn't know you were going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts? Because that's, ooh, that's tricky. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It is yeah, very, tricky. very tricky. There's no, There's no right answer right to that one. I do think yeah. that, again, just like you said, if you're having an influence on a kid so early on, um, it's like, what do you do there? Do you tell them, hey, come on, don't do that. You should be outside playing baseball. Do you try to throw in that fatherly influence so that your kid does get into the sports and, and does turn into the little mini-me? Or do you say, oh, good job, son. That that Barbie looks like a lot of fun you're playing with. I mean, what do you do? It's um, hard because, yeah, it's a good, good point. Um. I don't know what's the right approach to that, Daniel, because, you know, it's important for parents to just be themselves, whether they are into sports or what. We get into tricky grounds when we start talking about what is considered masculine or feminine. And we've sort of defined that as a society. In some ways, I think it's worked. In other ways, I don't think it's worked from a physical standpoint. Um, but I think that's a really tricky ground to walk in. And I think it's one that we will constantly need to continue to reevaluate as we start to define what it is to be a human and what is realistic and what we all feel comfortable about. Because these are, we're talking about like psychology and classical conditioning. And I used to love talking about those things, but I think it's really important to realize that our perspective of what we consider to be masculine and what we consider to be feminine and what we consider to be human are all conditions and all these different types of um, uh, labels and, and actions and activities that uh, really we need to be more open-minded about, I think, as a society. Uh, and with, with restrictions too, uh, as well. So, um, because I think we do need to allow a child to grow into whatever they feel comfortable growing into. And oftentimes that is under the influence of a parent or lack thereof and what they experience. And just like if you were to take a hamster and, you know, bring it into the world, it's going to be a combination of different things that are going to impact that that uh, animal's life. So it's a tricky, tricky area for sure. How would you handle a situation in your household where say you're with somebody and your child at the age of 11 says, Hey, I really want, you know, maybe it's a female. Maybe she wants to have a penis with and, and, and sees herself more as a man, as a guy or quote unquote, as a, as a boy, I guess. What would you do in that situation? Because I don't know what I would do. I don't. I don't even know how to handle that. I think I would need help trying to figure out how to navigate it. Yeah, it's hard to say because 
uh, if I did, if I was to have children, I know that they would be growing up with quite a few environmental pressures that I didn't have as a kid, or yeah. maybe you, you don't call them pressures, but influences like they have mm-hmm. LTGBT people that go to schools and talk to young kids now. There's like walking around downtown Seattle, you do see a lot of shemales. There, there's right. like every one in a hundred person is probably going to be a shemale at least. Yeah. yeah. After a while, you do start start to just kind of uh, ignore it, and it becomes part of the background. But a kid growing up is going to have these influence like right in front of them right away. Does that make them more likely to choose that lifestyle, or does that make them? Um, want to be a part of it because it's trendy or is it just that certain children make those choices? It's really hard to say. I don't think that you could get away with putting t- too much resistance towards it in this day and age. I mean, that would that would make you look very bigoted. And, and I think that um, the best thing to do would be to let let a kid make their own choice, but at the same time realize when they have not reached those puberty stages and those developmental stages, because really, why does a nine-year-old need to choose their sexuality yet? I mean, it, I, I think it's fine for a nine-year-old boy to be a nine-year-old boy, and once he becomes at least 13 to 15, then maybe think about putting on dresses. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, goodness. Yeah, I mean, I have to laugh at that. <laughs> you set that up quite well, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think we're both making good points. I mean, there's not a right, right or wrong answer these days, but yeah. um, you kind of have to play by ear. I think the extremes are a problem. And if you remember last time you were on this program, I was very, I was just starting to kind of get more into politics, and I was being very conservative and very pro-Trump. But I've pretty much finally backed off on a lot of that stuff. I just decided it probably wasn't really me. Oh, interesting perspective. It's uh, interesting hearing your uh, hearing how uh, you know. It's I think that's a good thing to to, uh, to evolve and to not be locked in. And I think that's the approach that we need to perhaps. Uh, be more open-minded as a society in general in terms of hearing other perspectives and and um, not being so fixed on our own all the time. You know, I, I you know I was a hardcore Democrat. <clears throat> I used to be, uh, and now I'm more of a. I don't even know what the hell I would call myself. I don't even want to give myself a label because I feel that the labels that we have regarding you know, the political realm are just outrageous and either too far extreme one way or too far extreme another way. And I don't want to be put in that kind of extreme box. So I think all politicians have a very difficult job. A lot of them are fucked up and corrupt. A lot of them are under the influence of our capitalist system, which is proven to be very flawed. And it it's hard to force a democracy in, in a and, uh, you know, this type of political uh, world that we live in, it's, it's capitalism. I mean, capitalism is, is what it is. So we have to accept and embrace that um, and, and hopefully change it and shape it the way that works for everybody, which I feel people have lost track of <laughs> for a number of different reasons. So we'll get into that in a second. One thing I want to say, uh, just to rewind a second here, you know, with parenting, I think it's important that parents – learn as much as they can about being good parents and define what that is in their household, but also 
provide safety, shelter, freedom, and love in their households. And uh, if if you can do that as a parent, I think you, you're solving half the problem. The child's going to evolve and, and really try to, you know, create an environment where your child can grow. If you can do that and they feel safe and they feel like they have the shelter and they feel like they have your support and that they eventually can talk to you about things and make choices and hopefully you can guide them in ways that lead them to healthy decisions and decisions that allow them to continue to live their life and to love themselves. If you can do that and and I think it, if you're effective in doing that, then you will have a type of loving household. But it's really important for mom and, and dad or mom or whatever or whomever it is to be loving towards their child, to not love everything that they do because you do have to be disciplinarian, I think, in your household, but also to allow the child to have freedom to grow and evolve into who they are and accept that they are who that who they become in life. And, and, and that's, I think, the essence of raising a child. And it is a ongoing situation where I believe you really have to be very sensitive of and always try to improve and never stop learning. And because there's no right. And I mean, there's things that are more right than wrong, obviously, depending on how they impact people's lives. But there's no right answer. There's no there's no blueprint to being a a great parent. So, yeah, you just got to try to give your child an opportunity to grow and be who they are intended to be and feel good about themselves. And, um, you know, it's a difficult, delicate balance. And that's why I think people take parenting sometimes like so, so cavalierly, goodness gracious. It's like give a bunch of fucking kids, raising kids, uh, just my perspective on that. I won't even get into that. <laughs> it just, you know, you, you got people who want to have kids for all the wrong reasons. Because it's not, it's like a fucking accessory. A child is not an accessory. You know, it's one of the most selfish decisions you can make, but one of the most important, <clears throat> pardon me, decisions that you can make in general. No doubt about that. And, and there's great, great, great uh, responsibility in those choices. So um, let me not get into that, Daniel, if, if I still, if I haven't put you to sleep yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. It's, uh, Having kids is something that I have not had the pleasure or displeasure of yet, and I'm kind of glad because they are very expensive, but oh, yeah. I, I do hope that I do have children one day. I mean, that would be great. Who doesn't want to have some sort of legacy? But I have I have had thoughts like that, and how do you be a good parent? How do you tell your kid to stick up for themselves properly? Do you tell them to punch the other kid in the nose or do you tell them to talk it out or you tell them to go and tell somebody there's there's so many hard little tough spots like that that you kind of have to dance around and you have to uh, really make sure you make wise decisions because your kid could turn into like a little troublemaker or they could turn into a a sissy there's there's you don't want one extreme or the next yeah yeah absolutely and i mean what's what's he not sissy (laughs) (laughs) well i mean and sometimes you can do uh, everything textbook and you know you could hope to guide a child right and they'll choose left and that's just the nature of life and humans being human and uh you have to still 
hopefully love that child in the process of them making decisions on their own. And uh, that's what's challenging about being a parent, I think, in general. Uh, it's a very tricky world to navigate now. And I, I think it comes with a great deal of stress and responsibilities, no doubt about that. And uh, oftentimes you see that the child becoming the demise of a relationship. And for me, it's like, fuck, oh, well, well, like, you know, it's weird when you start dating people and they're like, yeah, I want to have kids and all this stuff like that. And you're like, well, uh, <laughs> why don't you, they're like, yeah, why don't you want to have a child? Or why do you feel this way about not having children? Or why do you feel, it's like, first of all, you got to find a good person that you'd want to actually spread your seed with. And, and that's challenging in itself, you know, because, you know, when you look at the divorce rates and you look at people staying together, it's, it's it, there's no, the, the and you look at the law, the way the law sees it, uh, there's not a lot of benefits to having children nowadays. It, it just, there's a lot of stress that comes with it. There's, there, I'm sure there's a lot of happiness that comes with that. Um, but I just see a lot of destructive households, not loving households. Uh, yeah, just a lot of stress. I see a lot of stressed out parents. I see a lot of people who uh, have made decisions to have children on their own and they're like, shit, what do I do? Um, I see a lot of people who can't afford to have children. I think you got it's got to be looked at as not just from the feeling standpoint or whatever it is that we're dealing with in terms of our own insecurities. It's got to look at it almost as like a business decision. And the same applies to somebody that we choose to have a relationship with or or be involved with. We have to really think about those choices and how they are going to uh, impact our future and, and manifest moving forward because these decisions have a lot of variables, some created by society, some not created by society. It's really what do you want to negotiate and what do you want to have as a responsibility as you move forward and be comfortable with if you're not able to move forward in the way that you think that you want to move forward. You know, a lot of things happen. You know, people have kids, they're so happy to have kids. Somebody loses, somebody dies. Then, you know, it's a hard situation there. Yeah, somebody might have uh, have a, a challenged kid uh, who who has a uh, has a disability. That's a very challenging situation. Yeah, you don't and really you don't really. Don't I really mean, this circles back. back. Yeah. You don't have don't the house, have, household house, like you used to yeah. back in the old days. Now you have a lot of single mothers that are raising kids, and 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 there's a certain amount of fall from that. I mean, a single mother even. If she gets welfare from the state, she's not going to be able to provide the same things that both a mother and a father would, especially time. I mean, usually a single mother is going to not only be working all the time, but also trying to date other men out there. And it creates a very different household for kids to grow up in. And a lot of them don't really get much parenting at all. Yep. yep. Not much parenting. Uh, the Sometimes the, um, the mother father dynamic is just toxic as can be. Uh, it can be a very tricky situation to navigate financially, emotionally. It can be tricky. It can be very, very tricky. That's the thing. It's There's so much to consider, I think. People just go about that process, I think, so nonchalantly and, and, I, and, and make decisions and don't really think about the long-term investment that you're making when you decide to do that. It's interesting that you mentioned legacy. What type of legacy would you like to have? You know, what is a legacy to people? Because I've heard men say that. I've heard women say that. I've always wondered what that means to people. You know, because some people having a legacy is, 
you know, you, you know, eating popcorn, sitting on the damn couch and, and playing video games. You know, some people's legacy is that. Some people's legacies, hey, I want to have children that, you know, that uh, do the same things or, uh, you know, have the same career path as me and all these other different, uh, I think, ideals that we kind of put or impose or think of when we think of the ch- children that we're going to bring into the world. What would mean something to you? Um, um, I would have to say that for there to be, for there to be people, individuals out there that are inspired by this show and mm-hmm. understand it and to actually start their own blog or write a book or start a podcast or something like that. If there are young people out there who can carry the torch after after the uh, FBI comes down and shoots me in the head, then that, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that would make me very happy. What about children, though? Like, if you were to have a child, what would your legacy be, though? Like, what would you want? How would you want to shape that child or mold that child into having the type of world that you think is healthy? Oh wow, that is a tough question. I I guess I haven't really thought about that enough, and that's probably I don't have any kids yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. You got to think about these things. I think it's important too, man. Because you mentioned legacy, yeah. the thing so, is, you, you know, don't I really want to. I don't think you want to imprint on the kids too much. You don't want to make them into little mini me, right? That's not good. You, they have to be able to find their own destiny. What if your child becomes? something different than you envisioned because that happens. It's a possibility. Uh, have lots of kids. That way, at least one in five. <laughs> <laughs> one <laughs> numbers game. <laughs> exactly. That seems to be the trick. <laughs> uh, that's, that's hilarious. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I think, you know, without getting too serious, though, but it is something that we do have to take seriously because, you know, anything's possible. And, I think sometimes we think or are programmed to think that we're going to have a legacy or our children are going to take care of us or all these different things that we've been conditioned to think. And at the end of the day, kid might not like, give a fuck. Your kid could be the next Columbine shooter. I mean, oh, no, you just no. never fucking know. It could be fucking Ted Bundy. I mean, who knows what your child may become? It is a coin flip. It is Russian roulette. You can play with DNA. You can play with whatever. You can do everything that you think is perfect or right or whatever it may be. And one day you might be sleeping in your room or having some good sex with, you know, your your, <laughs> your wife or whatever it may be, girlfriend, whatever. And your child could be in the other room, come in the other room and kill you both. And, you know, these are things that we do need to think about. You know, or your child could grow up and become whatever it may be that, you know, he or she wants to become and and, and affect the world in a great way. Uh, legacy can change any time. And it's a matter of what that child will become. And we give a child the freedom to become who they want to become. But at the end of the day, you know, we don't really have control over that, even though it sounds good or we want those things. You know, your legacy could be, you know, the next Daniel Jr. could, you know, be the next president or as long as long as they're 
they are aware, they are aware of the Illuminati, <laughs> then I am a happy parent. <laughs> That's what's really important. I knew, I knew you weren't going to let me be too serious about this. <laughs> no, seriously. They, they, they need to know the truth about reality. That's what's important to me. That's true. I mean, that's it's linked to that. It's the uh, be open minded. I think is what you're saying, and to uh, and be able to uh, question things. As and, long as they understand that we are indeed in the end of days. Maybe <laughs> people have thought that for a long time. I, I think it's there's a sexiness about the end of days and uh, a fear that makes it unique. But um, who knows? You know, who, who knows? It, it seems that way sometimes, but. You know, I bet if you go back 50 years, people thought the same thing. You know, 70 years, people thought the same thing. I mean, look, I mean, we didn't even have technology. I mean, so many things we didn't have that have evolved with our time on the planet. The one thing we can say is that eventually the Earth and all of the planets will, you know, either be sucked into a black hole, sun too, uh, you know, will die out. What will happen? You know, anything can happen. A hiccup in the universe can change this. Con- I mean, something can happen right now that's catastrophic to life in a blink of an eye. So, so I, I take it you're not a flat earther then? I am not a flat earther. That is, <laughs> it's too much. It's, it's a fun, it's fun to talk about, but you know, at the end of the day, it's just too obvious that we're living in a sphere. So it's, if yeah. you say so, I know I've heard some of your shows, by the way, the last show was pretty good too with Nathan. Oh, good thank show, you. Yeah, it's really cool. Good conversations. Yeah, uh, we've really that. been getting deep into it, and it's just been very sequential. I think that some major truth is coming out, and that's what it's all about. Like I was saying earlier, um, I, I had a big moment in my life where I saw what was going on out there. I saw how people were being manipulated, uh, the right and the left, to actually yeah. fight each other in the streets. And as soon as I started to see that bubbling up, and I told everybody, just watch, there's going to be fighting in the streets soon. As soon as I started to see that, then I, I had an ethical quandary where I can no longer participate in the, the Trump trolling and stuff like that because I, re- I realized, I came to the realization that my actions could actually get somebody physically hurt at this point. Yeah, that's the wild power that we have as, as people, right? Even with our voices, you know, we have the power to... Uh, create violence and hatred and you know it's the importance of our our discernment in our voices and what we choose to use with our language and things we say how we say them uh it can be quite powerful so there's power in language but again it goes back to that superhero thing do you want to be the villain or do you want to be the voice that helps create positive change uh i tend to want to hopefully help people in a positive way but um sometimes you have to be the fucking villain and, you know, you, you just have to. Because Did you say people, sometimes you have to be the villain? Yes, you do. Because <laughs> some people don't have your best interests in mind. Sometimes and you have to be the fucking villain. Damn. Yeah, you do. That's the truth. Damn, man. <laughs> What's going on in your life, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the fucking hey, villain now. Hey, sometimes you got to. You know, some people, some people will, you know. No, you're right. Know. Something that I like to say is sometimes you have to unleash the demons on somebody. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. It's the truth. It's the reality of life. And uh, yeah, that's the hard choice, but everybody doesn't have your best interests in mind, and, and it's important to weed out those people and hopefully stay away from them, but in the same sort, or to have them hopefully stay away from you. But, um, you know, sometimes you got to fight fire with fire in life. 
It's true. That's the reality. Are you a big fan of the Alien movies? You know, that's a oh, it's an interesting question, Daniel. And, and again, appreciate you having this conversation tonight. Again, I, I want to reiterate that it's so nice to just have an intelligent conversation about not just film in general, but life uh, in general. I've always appreciated about the type of stuff that, you know, you, you've been interested in talking about and um, facilitating those conversations. So thanks again for having me on and shout out to the folks that are taking the time out of their day to listen to this discussion, even you know now or in the future. But alien movies, I have to say, have been disappointing. Uh, my reasons for that are because I find that Hollywood tends to produce the same types of cookie cutter alien movies where aliens are the enemies and we're fighting them or they're enslaving us. And it's just the same old bullshit. I really like elements of alien movies. There's certain things that I find fascinating, like the exploration of communication, because I, I really feel that if a life form, when we find another life form, or at least admit that we have, because of course that has happened, uh, when we discover it or it discovers us in a more universal way, I believe we need to think about a lot of things, like the conditions our planet is under in terms of how it is designed for aquatic species. You know, it is. I mean, we are an aquatic species. We cannot survive without water and oxygen. We just need it. We haven't figured out a way to do it without it. Our planet has a certain gravitational pull. We have a certain climate. These are all things that will be really important to explore in film. And I feel like that's missed often when we really dissect alien movies. Uh, I hate to even call them alien movies. I feel like there's so much more that can be explored. And hopefully I have an opportunity to do that as a filmmaker because I find that the films that we watch are fun for entertainment value. Perhaps some of them are just really bad. Some of them are really entertaining and engaging, but I find the best films about aliens or extraterrestrials or life outside of this sphere we're on involve more of a logical. Approach. Wait, wait, Max, you know, I'm yeah. talking about the alien movies like Ridley Scott aliens. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into Ridley. Actually, <laughs> I do like the first one. I mean, I do like I mean, uh, you know, it, a lot of the first films were awesome. You know what I mean? Because that was like fantasies. There's a little bit of mystery in there. I love that film um, for all the reasons that most people like it. Do you like that film? I mean, Ridley did a great job with that. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge, a huge fan, fan of those fan movies. Of the movies. And yeah. I love the I first love the, one. I love the second one. I love the Yeah, I was going to ask you about the second one. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, okay. The, the third one was garbage. Alien yeah, Resurrection was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so what did you like? I mean, because I got off on a tangent about alien movies in general, because as a filmmaker, it would be irresponsible of me to come on here and to say, oh, you know what? I love every fucking alien movie. It's not true. Because a lot of them just don't engage me. They're not mysterious enough. There's there's questions that we don't know that sometimes left out of the whole alien movie equation. What did you like about Alien? Well, like the well, initial. The, the uh, idea of encountering something and not knowing what the hell it is, 
Yep. In 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 terms of like it's it is truly completely alien. It doesn't come up to you wearing an outfit like you would see in Star Trek and uh, offer you a peace treaty or shoot laser guns at you. It's just <laughs> yeah, it's something that's completely truly alien and it's coming at you and it's trying to kill you. You don't know what it is. You don't know where it comes from. And that and that's kind of what I was going to complain about because. In these recent Alien movies, there was the latest one is Alien uh, Alien Covenant. Yeah, it, it was garbage. It was really really bad. I did not like that movie. Very disappointed. Yeah, uh, yeah. The realism and the mystery, the mystique of it, sometimes is left out. I think the ones that we really appreciate all have that equation. You know, they're mysterious. There's questions that are unanswered. They introduce new perspectives. The original films have done that, and I think films have kind of copied that formula, tried to copy it, but have done so poorly. And, and I, I don't know, a lot of it's studio stuff. It's, it's a tricky area to discuss because so much of it's unknown, but then there's so much room, I feel, for the creatives, the writers, the producers, the directors, to really explore it in a, in a different way, and we don't see that often. What components do you find interesting about films that are alien movies? Because you talk about really deep stuff. I mean, there are, I mean, we talk about alien species and stuff like that. There is yet to be really a film that kind of delved right into, you know, different types of alien species, you know? You just don't see that. What do you feel are good components of a, of a good alien movie? Uh, you really have to push the envelope. You have to come up with something completely original. Uh, one thing that, that I found cool were the types of movies where these alien parasites would kind of, uh, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or The Hidden, they'd mm-hmm. uh, jump into yeah. somebody's body and take them over. Uh, I, I think that that's something that's very real. People do become possessed. People do actually become taken over by interdimensional entities. And I really think a lot of truth comes through in these movies as well as a form of predictive programming. Mm, yeah. Do you feel that uh, aliens will be hostile when we see them or vice versa? Do you think there will be this underlyingly human desire to destroy or do you think it will be more of a curiosity i really at this point i feel that most of what people describe as alien encounters are interdimensional beings and also uh, the uh, illuminati are actually tricking people with fake aliens to make them think that they're being abducted by aliens because they're planning a whole uh, mass grand alien deception Yikes! That's that's some that's some end of day stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, you about to open up the rabbit hole there? Oh my! <laughs> oh yeah, I've been digging deep. I've been digging real deep. Uh, that's cool though. I uh, uh, see it's it's stuff like that that I find fascinating to discuss. Uh, but like, when have you ever seen a movie about the Greys, reptilians, or like you know these things are I think talked about on talk radio, certain shows that are that have the balls to explore this type of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I do think but, that there's ser- a serious lack. And yeah. the Alien movies and the Predator movies, I think, are actually some that have come the closest because yeah. these, 
yeah, the reptilian beings, they, they, they seem to be very uh, tribal and warlike, like, like the predators that Arnold was fighting. So uh, that's probably the closest so far. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a fascinating world to talk about because uh, I don't know. I, I think our depiction of what we think aliens might be are going to be so different from what they are. Potentially some of them may be on point. Uh, but we're looking at it from human logic and a human approach, whereas the universe has proven to have power and to surprise us and to defy human logic. So I would expect anything at this point. You know, there could be some reptilian-like species, obviously. Uh, you know, that's that's sort of going into really a human approach to it. You know, obviously tracing back our origin and, and, and you know, oxygen, is that going to be a part of the equation? How are aliens going to – what's their genetic makeup like? I mean, there's so many questions. You know, an, an alien could technically be a ball. Um, what, what defines, you know, an alien? is it, it could be a ball that has life. I mean, I don't know what form or what shape you know, we will first encounter with. I hope we're around to really see it on a global scale because I think it's going to change our view of everything. Hopefully, people will come more open-minded, but I don't really know. I'm kind of open-minded about the limitations of human logic and how constraining it is to think about what is out there because I can imagine that, hope. well, maybe these particular types of conversations or thoughts, because we're still talking about human logic, a way our brain thinks and tries to uh, make sense of everything are um, shared elsewhere. I mean, because it could be more of a telepathic type of uh, being. I don't know. It's something that we really need to be open-minded about because the possibilities are endless. And they do define human logic, which is only as good as this planet's worth of understanding, like humans. Well, I've got one. I've got one for you, Max. How about... Yeah. The, the Men in Black movies with Will mm. Smith, I thought that they were tackling something very important there, the idea that there is this organization behind the scenes that can actually erase people's memories and is involved in these sort of like hyperdimensional alien sort of schemes that they have going on back there and actually uh, the government working with aliens and, and things like that. I, I think that there's a, a lot going there, a lot of truth. You know, that's Another fascinating topic, I definitely feel like that kind of manipulation is possible. Uh, I think it's good for discussion. I don't have an answer for it. I think that it's good for discussion and, and it's, it's good for, I don't even know if you call it conspiracy theories or um, I, I, I think anything is possible. What is possible and, not, and what's not possible is is really just a matter of the what's and the ifs. So, you know, I, I love the Men in Black concept. I do. Uh, I, I definitely think there's some really cool. Now, Max, you have had an actual UFO exper- uh, experience or sighting, haven't you? Yes, I have. That was a fascinating experience. I think about it every other day, I swear. I still think about it. Would you mind going over that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's cool that you uh, really uh, remembered that. Of course. Yeah. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's cool, though, because 
that experience was like a life-changing experience. I always thought there is life out there. I still don't know what to make of this experience, but I'll just dive right into it real quickly. Uh, I was in a pool with a buddy of mine after a fun night. It was baseball. We had gone back, and I remember he had a pool. And, you know, in Pittsburgh, a lot not a lot of people have pools. It's not like out in L.A. where everybody's got a damn pool. But, you know, in Pittsburgh, not a lot of people have pools. Uh, so we were having fun. It was like a cookout. And, you know, we went and we were BSing in this pool. And I remember looking over at my buddy and we were like, both, I think, frozen. Like, we just didn't know what to say. And we both noticed it because the sky was pitch black. There was some type of object that flew into the horizon just above the the atmosphere layer. It was really weird. It was right above the horizon. It was kind of hard to describe, but it was so vivid right above the pool. It changed colors. It it, It started as one dull color. It was a sphere-like object. It changed three different colors and then zipped across the sky at like a speed that it was like a streak. And it, I mean, it was, it was stationary, man. I mean, we both saw this with our eyes. It was the most fascinating, strangest. Uh, it was so weird to see that as a child and a young adult, really, as a teenager. But it uh, changed three different colors bright colors and then zipped across in the sky and disappeared and you could see the trail like a light beam and from that point forward we had talked about that almost every week at school we talked about it privately at baseball practice and stuff and it was great to actually experience that with somebody else because i think if i told that story by itself without you know, him being around to witness that at the same time, it wouldn't have had the same weight. That was the most creepiest, I still can't make sense of it, situation I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like that in my life, Daniel. It was that, that weird. And when people say they've seen UFOs or flying saucers or experienced certain phenomenons, I believe them. I mean, obviously some people are full of shit, but, you know, I, I I saw that from my own eyes. We both saw that, and I don't know what to make out of it. It falls in alignment with other stories. I don't know what to say about it. It's just still to this day I think about it. You know, what, what do you think about this stuff? Because for me, hearing people talk about it and experiencing it are two different things. When you experience something like that, it changes your your perspective, and, and it you know you may have a similar but it, when you personalize it like that. Man, it just changes your way of thinking. So I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was a governmental thing. It wasn't. It was definitely not an airplane. It was definitely not something that you would see every day. It was a strange phenomenon in the sky that was definitely some type of object that changed different colors, bright colors, and zipped across the sky, and it was gone. And I wish I could experience it again, and I wish I had a cell phone at that time or we had cell phones. I don't think it was even a time when... You know, there was that kind of technology to capture it. You had to have a camera but uh, or a video camera. But damn it, man, I want to experience that again. I loved it. I absolutely, I still to this day, Daniel, wish I could experience that. I wish I, I want to experience an alien encounter. Like I want to be 
I want to experience it. I want to see it for myself. Hopefully I can film it, but I want to be a part of any type of, I welcome that experience because it's fucking fun. I mean, like everything is so mundane. You go to work, you, t- you know, everything is so like, we need something different. Like that. I do personally, that, that'd be more fun than that'd be better than any vacation. You know, <laughs> I mean, some people were frightened by that. I welcome it. What is your thoughts on that stuff, man? Uh, yeah, because I know you've had your experiences with it too. You you know you talked about family and, and some other things that and I'm sure people are familiar with you and, and understand that you've had these encounters. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I've yeah. been having these experiences pretty much my whole life. I yeah. had one major UFO encounter when I was 18, and most of the other ones have been from a distance. And of course, I've mm-hmm. had family members that have seen UFOs and even had alien experiences. Yeah, and. I can't really just take one perspective on it. Part of my job as the host of the show, if you want to call it a job, is I have to remain kind of objective and unbiased. I've heard so many different – oh, somebody's actually calling in. My my goodness. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Let's see here. Hello, caller? Hello, caller? Hello. Oh, hey there, buddy. What's going on, gang? Holy crap, that's a familiar voice. Is it, is it Todd? How you doing, Max? Holy shit, I haven't heard your voice in <laughs> ages. Ages. Oh, I mean, it's got to be a couple of years now, right? Well, just just uh, listen on about every show, I think, as many as I can get. Oh, good stuff. Good to hear your uh, voice out there. And, uh, yeah, geez, thanks for tuning in. I always try to tune into the live show. They're too fun. And it's wow. nice to hear your voice, my man. Oh, likewise. My goodness. It's been ages. It's been a long time. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, you were, you were, I was just sitting out here listening to your conversation, and um, you guys were talking about movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had to call in and ask you about, um, have you ever seen John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness? Yes. Very good reference I love there. that movie. Wow. That movie's like one of my, my favorites. Man, that is a hell of a reference. Man, not a lot of people have, I mean, film people even. The people I know are deep in film don't even know about that. Nice reference. What'd you like about that? Because it's, it's cool. Well, it's got Sam Neill, who's just yep. a classic actor. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the best movies I ever saw Sam Neill in was that one where he's out at, at sea with Nicole Kidman in the oh. early days of her career. I forget the name of it. But they pick up Billy Zane and he's this crazy, you know, he's a survivor on a ship that they don't realize he's crazy. Do you remember that? I'm trying to remember which film that was. Why is that? Jeez. Um, um, and I can't remember the name, but man, it's a bad movie. Yeah. Um, uh, the whole movie was filmed in the middle of the ocean, took place on pretty much about three ships, if you remember, like little yachts. And, uh, man, they just captured the whole movie around rescue and Billy Zane and he's out of his mind. Yeah. They don't realize that he's a killer until they've got him on the boat. And Whoa. Calm. I remember the t- that calm. Uh, oh, man, what was that called? Something calm. Something yeah, because yeah, I remember. Dead I remember. Calm. Dead calm. That's it. Dead that's calm. it. Yep, that's it. That's it. Yep. Oh, that was so bad. 
Yeah, that was a good flick. That was a. It was a. Riveting. Nicole Kidman hadn't had a bunch of plastic surgery, and she was a redhead naturally back then. Um, from Australia, yep, didn't really yep. try to hide the accent. I think Sam Neill's from Australia. He's, yep. he's kind of either New Zealand or Australia or something. But, but anyways, I like that they put Sam Neill in that Mouth of Madness, John Carpenter. Yeah, and then they. They ripped off the Lovecraft. That's what that movie was kind of based around, yeah. was this idea that there's this writer that's creating this fiction that people are believing, you know, it's taking on its own mythos. Yeah. And he he doesn't believe it. They've set it up so cool where he's, he's the guy that's got to go down and, and do the insurance claim or something. <laughs> I forget. <laughs> Remember that movie, Mouth of Madness? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> That's a, it's been a while since I've watched that. It's, it's a classic. I mean, it's, I, it's but, cool. But it was so cool because they send him down there to get the book that the guy's supposed to deliver already or something. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that's go. interesting about that movie as well is that it's part of the Apocalypse trilogy, which yep. began with The Thing in 1982 and then Prince of Darkness in 1987. Yep. Which I love. That's one of my favorites. And then, oh, yeah. and then finally, in the Mouth of Madness in 1995. Yep. Good, good so, call. Um, nice. Carpenter had kind of an apocalypse trilogy going with some earlier movies. Everybody needs to see Prince of Darkness. Oh yeah. Hell God, yes. I remember that. God, did it have Alice Cooper in it? Or yes, he did the theme. Yes, it did. He did the theme. I can't remember that. It was so long ago. Good stuff. Nice. Good references there. Carpenter did something. But I had to ask you if you remembered that in the mouth or seen that in the mouth of madness. Yeah. Um, you know, John Carpenter's making the new Halloween twenty nineteen, which looks pretty cool. Yeah, good call on that. I was just about to say that. Funny you mentioned that. I'm looking forward to that actually because uh there hasn't been a very good slasher film made in a while. Uh and uh yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious to see their their sort of the rebirth of it again. Good that these movies are coming back. And then, and then Rob Zombie has a part three to his, you know, The Devil's Rejects and The yep. House of a Thousand Corpses coming out. Yeah, nice. <laughs> really yeah. wild movies coming out. I hear that Hereditary is really spooky and disturbing. Like, yeah, I heard that too. Everything. I want to see it. Yeah, yeah, I, heard oh, I that gotta too. see that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be really unique. Um, some people that have seen that are saying it puts stuff in their minds they wish they hadn't have seen, and they leave the theater just feeling like, Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Did uh, something to them just seeing it. Yeah, I'm trying to see. It's funny you mention that. I'm trying to see that before the end of the month, too, before it uh, leaves, because some people, you know, it, it, yeah, it's psychological or some stuff in there that's uh, rather, uh, it's, it's just, I uh, hear it's pretty horrifying. But uh, that's what you love. Max, you know? one of my Max, one of my all-time favorite directors, or whatever, was uh, Oliver Stone. Oh yes, absolutely. Because, and mainly because of like the JFK. You ever yeah. see that? Yep. Oh yeah, classic. My goodness. I, I mean, he he worked with Oliver Stone. Worked with like Robert Groden and a couple of like the very best Kennedy assassination researchers to make that movie. Yeah. And that movie was so powerful. Oh, and yeah. Oliver Stone, what, you know, he, he was in Vietnam. 
Yeah. And so he was kind of an anti-war protester. He he did born did he did he do born on the fourth of July or? Um, I don't. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. With yep. Tom Cruise. Yeah, with Tom Cruise. Yeah. Like showed you how brutal. Yeah. Brutal the war was, but. Yeah. Platoon too. Yeah. it was so potent. Yeah. Yeah. Platoon um, natural but born then killers. Oliver Stone did that movie Snowden just recently. Yep. And he doesn't live in the United States anymore. I, I've seen this interview with him. He's like, I got, I have to leave the United States now because of what's going on there. Interesting. I'm wondering what's been happening with him. I wonder what he's been uh, up to. He's been kind of quiet as of late. So that's good stuff. A couple of interviews I heard with him, boy, he's he was pretty vocal about, I don't like what's going on there. And I, better, I figured I better get out of there and, about the only way I can, you know, feel comfortable yeah, <laughs> nowadays. Yeah, because yeah. he he revealed a lot of wild shit. What 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 do you what do you think about an MLK conspiracy film? Um, you know, I'm so bored with the topic in general. <laughs> you know the I mean? MLK assassination. Yeah, I mean, I am. I'm so bored with these um, assassination type films. I mean, I, I think they're cool. Uh, you know, in terms of getting us talking about that stuff again. Um, but me personally, it's not the first type. It's not the first film. I, it's like, like the, the it wouldn't draw me to that film. You know what I mean? Um, I find them unique. Gotcha. I find documentaries unique on these things. I find conversation good about it. But it's just, uh, gosh, it's such, it's just, I, I'm, I want more now. It's, I can't, I can't get into it the same, even though I think, you know, stuff like that could be interesting. And uh, it's, it's yeah, that's certain... the sad thing about like the Kennedy assassination. It's so old. This generation probably doesn't give a shit about. Yeah. Kennedy we... getting assassinated. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, that's the problem with, it. I think sometimes <laughs> generations, you know, it's like, we can't relate to it as, as closely as some. So uh, I'm, I'm curious about it because it's curious. I'm curious to hear people who experience, like it was really a big part of their lives what their perspective is of it, because that kind of thing can happen any time. And I'm compelled by that and, and how people uh, felt at that time or how they feel about it now and all the different conspiracies. And I, I, that stuff fascinates me. But, you know, is it a film that I would go watch right away? Eh, probably not. But Well, it, you know what? It's a film I'd go watch right away. And so um, if that? somebody put it together right, and I just don't, I don't think I've seen anything – there's a lot of really interesting information that's come out since then, and yeah. it, that that whole period of our our history's been changed because of those events. Yep. And um and man, there's stuff that's come out since then that's pretty fascinating. I'd probably run to the freaking movies. Couldn't wait to see it, but if it was done right, because uh, I'd want to see the alternative perspective, not the not the mainstream historical perspective, you know, there's enough of those that have been done. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but, but Max, I didn't want to take up a whole bunch of time. I just thought it was cool. So I'll talk to you and thought I'd hit you some movie, movie oh, stuff. Man. It is good hearing your voice. It's so cool hearing your perspective on films. You know, I love this stuff. And it's like you said, I think with any film, there's, there's audiences for everything and it's all, it all depends on how it's done. And I think, uh, you know, a good movie done well or done right or done well in general, you know, something that uh, is 
is honest or unique. That's what it's all about. That's the, when you talk about cinema, it really is a, in, in TV for that matter, to some degree, it is the study of human behavior. And it's fascinating that we watch ourselves or events about ourselves on screen, and that is our form of entertainment. Uh, and, and it's interesting how different areas of film you know, gravitate towards certain people and draw them in, uh, whether it's emotionally or, or psychologically or, or just for the sake of just getting out and vegging out and watching something. Or maybe it's if from an educational standpoint, you learn something from cinema. The power of film is, is transcendent. I, I think it's really cool hearing people and how films affect them or impact them and what they like about certain films, especially as a filmmaker and storyteller myself. I, I love this kind of talk. So it's really cool to, you know. Yeah, totally. Totally, my man. Awesome. So it's really good to talk to you and uh, let you guys carry on. And it's uh, take, take care. Take care, Max. Right, thanks, thanks Todd. For, oh, good stuff. Right. Uh, Daniel, thanks for Daddy. You know you were taking calls. Thanks for you know taking that uh, call and and uh, you know Todd for calling because like they, you know these kinds of conversations are so fun to have. It's really cool. I didn't know Todd was still around. My goodness, so cool. <laughs> yeah, me and Todd have become pretty good buddies. He's a he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Really, really cool. Man, he brought up some good stuff. These films. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great hearing people just talk. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of the cool things about film and cinema, too, not to get on a rant, is that it is a, it's like sports in some ways. It's like a, it's, and music. Uh, it's one of those things that people can relate to and have a, a conversation about. Even if you don't know that person, it brings people together, you know, and, and I think that's a real cool power of cinema. You know, you can always talk to somebody about a movie they saw, even if you've never met that person. I've never met Todd. We've talked, you know, I've talked to him on Aaron and, and, you know, just I've heard him in the background. I've heard him on your show. But, you know, we can come on for whatever it was, what was it 10 minutes and, and talk about a movie or scenes or an actor or actress's performance. That's what it's all about right there. I find that to be fascinating, to say the least. Right. Isn't it? Yeah, Isn't cool yeah. About I, I totally I, agree with that, especially, especially an actor's actor. performance. And, and yeah. one particular actor that I wanted to bring up tonight was Russell Crowe and his performance in Gladiator, which I find to be oh. one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, that changed his career. I mean, I mean, that, his role in that was just he, there, I couldn't even imagine another character. Could you? I mean, I've watched that so many times, but. Could you imagine somebody else in that role? No, he absolutely brought that character to life. He yeah. he made that movie with that that unique sort of um, I, I, that that one scene where he spreads his arms out. He's holding the sword. Oh, yeah. He goes, "Are you not entertained? Are you not, yeah, are you not entertained? That's just uh, that is there's literally you couldn't take your eyes off the screen. Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> That's what it's all about. That, I'm with you on that. I wonder what he's been up to. He's been kind of quiet. He's been doing some films here and there, but, you know, nothing as profound as that, even though he's done some cool stuff, uh, you know, but, yeah, it's, uh, that film, I think, really changed his career, uh, personally. Uh, and it put him in a different realm as a character actor, as, as somebody, as a method actor. Like, he became that character, and, oh, my God, I mean, uh, yeah, just a powerful film. Really good film to watch, too. Just, uh let me don't get me started. You get me you get me fired up over here. Are you uh, into Al Pacino movies? Pacino movies? Yes, I am. I mean, how, man, Al Pacino is like 
<laughs> godfather of film. It's impossible not to love. Al Pacino is one of those guys, you know, you just are glued to anything that he does, even if it's a, like a, a, a 30 second cameo. You know what I mean? So absolutely. What about you? Hell yeah. A huge a fan huge of fan his of stuff. stuff. I've seen pretty I've much seen everything. everything. Uh, one uh, of my favorites, Dog Day Afternoon. Day Afternoon. So oh, anything yeah. else? No? Dude, you're killing me here. We could talk. I mean, Al Pacino is a type of actor. You could literally talk about Al Pacino for like two shows like, you could, or a week of shows. It's just everything that he is in is just fantastic. Uh, you some actors are just so good that, you know, they were just born to do it. And, um, oh, don't even get me well, started. Uh, well, one uh, movie that was brought up by Todd uh, earlier was, earlier was uh, Born uh, on the Fourth of July. Tom Cruise yeah. had a pretty good performance in that one. Yep, yep. Tom Cruise is awesome, too. I can't wait to see the next, M- you know, MI movie. Like, man, he, he like, never ages either. I swear. I, I don't know. He's just, he's, he literally is a... He's one of the best actors in terms of just being consistent. Uh, he does a lot of his stunt work too, as well, which is fascinating about Tom Cruise. And I swear he just does not age. And um, just I'll watch every Tom Cruise movie. Honestly, he's he's another one of those actors where I'll just go just to watch him uh, on air, just just to see what he does with a role. Uh, I love watching him in movies. Absolutely love it. Um, I'm curious about it. Are you curious about this next? Uh, and then, you know, you've got Top Gun, too, that, you know, is still being filmed. Uh, I can't wait to see what happens with that again. But um, what do you think about the, you know, Mission Impossible? I, I think those movies are really good. Fun. Tom Cruise is like Al Pacino in the sense that he keeps creating these memorable characters. And yeah. his uh, character in Mission Impossible is another one of those memorable characters. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, in, in the Jack Reacher movies, one of them shot in Pittsburgh, I think, actually. Oh, think those are both. cool. Those are cool. Jack Reacher. Yeah. Yeah. M- Minority Report. What about Vanilla Sky? Some of those movies. Oh, yeah. Vanilla Sky. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's not. I mean, Tom Cruise is somebody that he's worth every penny that he gets paid. I mean, he, he he's just fun to watch and um, he's entertaining. And uh, that's a gift. You know, not everybody can pull that off. It's cool seeing his evolution, you know, way back. If you look at some of his first films, I mean, this is stuff like in our youth, really, uh, you know, you go back to like Top Gun and, and some of this other stuff. I mean, it's like legend. I mean, is, these films were just, uh, they're staples in cinema. And um, it's cool to see what he's, he does as an actor. Uh, and he's played all different types of roles, too. And, and each time he nails it. He really, really does. Just fun to watch. Yeah. Max, did you see this news story? A big budget Chinese film yanked from theater after it flops. Apparently this movie, Asura, A-S-U-R-A, it was one of the most expensive movies ever made in China, and it was a huge flop. They pulled it out of theaters after just a couple weeks. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that. I heard about it, but I didn't know much about it, but I I am curious about that. I wonder what... uh... Wonder what the deal is with that. Jeez, uh, sad. That's, yeah, that's pretty brutal. Um, damn. Uh, I, I don't know. I heard about it, but I, you know, you, you read the headlines and stuff like that. I remember it was a huge budget too. I it's like a. Uh, I just I remember seeing the budget numbers for it were just nuts. And um, yeah, 
I, that stuff is mind boggling. Uh, you know, how do you keep uh, a budget under control, Max? <laughs> uh, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> Cause if you ask a producer that or you ask a studio that you ask a director that, Interesting. you know, that's, it depends on who you ask. I don't even know if there's a way to do that. Cause you know, for me, uh, a budget's different from indie filmmaker than it is from somebody who's got the big budget studio movies and they're like, you know, the, the studio's like, uh, keep it under this or, you know, you're going to have to eliminate this explosion because it'll bring the budget up. I don't know. I, I think it's a good problem to have because it means you're making films. So whenever you're talking about budgets and keeping it under, you know, you're making a film. Hopefully as a creative, you can, you know, get that get that return on investment back in the film and see residuals from it, not only as a creator, but somebody who uh, gets paid for that shit because there's a lot of work that goes into this stuff. You know, it's, it's not, people think it's easy and, oh man, I could go on and on about how difficult stuff is and how hard it is just to make a film period with a fucking iPhone. For that <laughs> so, you know, it's not easy to, to storytell and to, to do it in a way that engages people uh, and then there's the whole marketing aspect of it. I think that's complicated. It's yes. the psychology of working with people. Shit. Hard. Marketing. That's marketing. very interesting. And how, as an how indie I, filmmaker, have you had to approach that? Have you had to uh, pull out a bag of tricks? I am still trying to figure that out. I do not do crap when it comes to marketing. And for me, you know, this is a process that started you know, uh, well, I came out here about 11 years ago, maybe 12 now. Uh, before that, you know, I'd obviously done some film work back east. So for me, the marketing is a constantly evolving mechanism that I need to become more educated on, need to be better with, and need to evolve with. I think everybody's trying to figure that out. You've got so many different outlets to market now. You can go film festivals. You can use YouTube. I mean, YouTube alone has changed the way people have marketed anything. So, you know, really at the end of the day, I try not to think about marketing. And you know what I think about Daniel? How the hell do I tell the most honest, true story with the resources and people that I want to work with? That is all I think about from there. The rest is up to whomever specializes in that. Hopefully you have the backing behind it or people and hopefully you learn how to navigate and I learn how to navigate how to utilize marketing effectively. So I'm constantly learning about these things uh, because the ways to do it are not finite and you never know what's going to resonate with people. Some projects market themselves. You can have the right actor who brings in a million views, you know, it's it's just a clusterfuck. I don't think anybody really knows. I think there are common practices and things that will lead to good marketing because you want to have people watch films. You got to have actors that people want to watch, right? However, I tend to have a different philosophy on that. I think there are very good actors that people haven't been introduced to yet, and I think we've got more of those than the cliched, you know, one hundred that are working all the time. And I tend to want to be the people that work with people that want to work with me. And I don't care about that as much, but I know it's important to have, 
you know, when you deal with the festival circuit as an indie filmmaker, they don't, people don't give a shit about the people that you choose in their films. They, they don't. Uh, not until you have somebody in their film that they can recognize. And that's just the nature of the business. It sucks that way. But it's true. Does that stop me from wanting to work with X actor or Y actor? It's something that I, I consider now. Uh, and, it, and it's something that if you want to get to a certain level of storytelling, you've got to be able to work with people and hopefully have an opportunity to work with people who can draw people to the work. So it's a tricky situation to navigate and one that you're thrown into when you dive into serious storytelling and storytelling. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you, Uh, has, has winning awards helped get your name out there? It depends on who you ask. And I think it helps with credibility. I think awards are so subjective. I think every filmmaker is, only as good as the resources that they have. Obviously, some are more skilled than others, for sure. It's like every musician isn't the same. But it's awards are subjective because sometimes it's about timing. Sometimes it's about uh, content and whom you're, quote, unquote, competing with. I always find awards to be uncomfortable. Uh, they're, they're important in terms of us because as humans, we're conditioned to see that as validation that we are doing something that's resonating with people. But I get that out of just having a film accepted, going into a, a theater full of 15 to 20 people, and they laugh at a certain part of the film, or they clap hmm. at the end, or a certain line that somebody delivers uh, and you know creates an emotion. So it really depends on the person. I've never been somebody who's been big on awards. I just want to do work that I feel is consistent shot professionally and, and directed professionally, have good interactions, positive experiences creating it, and hope that it resonates with people because every story is so different in that way. And you never feel, as a creative, you never feel fulfilled with every story. So you just want to continue to create. And that's where I'm at. So awards, Daniel, um, you know, it's great and it's good to be recognized for work, but it's very very, very subjective. And oftentimes it's politicized. I hope that the awards that I've received have been, and I know that they, personally I feel that they've been, I mean, we're talking some stuff that had like no budget, you know, other than me paying the actors and paying for locations out of my own pocket and things like that. So the awards that I've, I've received and, and have been fortunate to receive, I felt very good about because I was competing with people, and I hate to say we're competing because it's all artistic expressions, but there were there were some people that have just way more resources and, and have actors that, you know, that, that are even more seasoned, or maybe they just are more known. Uh, I tend to not look at that. I really want to choose who's best for the project and uh, treat every project the same way, with the same respect, with the same uh, potential outcome, you know. Hopefully it resonates with people. And hopefully get the story told and to finish it. And uh, not to get on too much of a tangent, but a lot of people don't see what goes on when you're just trying to produce small independent projects. You know, uh, you know, oftentimes you're investing that time and, and you're dealing with people 
an actor says, maybe they're not as serious as you want. In some cases they are, some cases you want, but actors are all different. I can talk about people that I've worked with that have been so easy to work with from beginning to end. They're excited from the second you start talking to them to the very end of the process. And then there's people that are pain in the ass or they have a diva complexes or they're just, they just are not focused in, in, or they're drawn in too many different ways. So there's a, there's a lot that goes into filmmaking that people don't see. And there's a lot of things that go wrong. But when you get things to go right and you finish something and you're happy about it and people are happy with their performances, that's all that matters. I can tell you a story if you, if you got a moment. Sorry to, to rant here, but. No, I love this. Keep going. It's, and then here's the thing. It's really fascinating what happened in cinema. I just had a recent experience with a producer who I wanted to work with. Somebody that I met at, uh, you know, volunteering and uh, she had produced some stuff and I thought it was real cool. She's a writer. And it was great because you know, the, I wanted to work with her. And I kept telling her how much I wanted to work with her. Well, the opportunity came to work with her. She threw a project at me. That like a week or so, like a week and a half deadline. This is recent. And uh, it was a very difficult situation because it was for a competition. But she sent me a script and I liked it. But I knew it needed more work. And I probably shouldn't have accepted that project as a project to take on. Well, to make a long story short, the project needed more development. I mean, we were developing the project, and, and it was rushed because it was we were trying to get it into this competition. And I could not – I would never felt comfortable with the whole encounter, even though I wanted to work with her. And I was disappointed by what the experience was like working with her because I felt like she was more focused on getting the project done than the actual story and having the substance behind the project. And I'm a creative person who's like, project, film, story first. That's where we start. We got to be eye to eye on that. And a producer and director relationship is like, it's like the butter on a popcorn. Like, it's got to be right, you know? And it's, and it's, and when it's right, it just, it tastes so damn good, Daniel. But a producer's supposed to have a director's back and really help a director create the vision. And it was hard because she wrote this project. It's a hard thing to, to, to navigate. It's like it, I felt more like a hired gun, even though I wasn't getting paid for it. Uh, and and I wasn't just I wasn't happy with it. So my composer friend and shout out to my composer, Chris Goodhall. He's just a fantastic individual that I've met who I have absolutely nothing but respect for somebody who I can talk to about all these creative things. But I brought him on to the project. And he was rushed in it. And it just all was challenging and difficult. And mind you, I was going to be the director of it. The uh, I was helping her with shaping the project, I felt, creating the vision for it, making it feel more complete. Because if it was like a three-page script, we could have shot it. But it was it started off, I think, as like a two-and-a-half-page script, but it felt incomplete, just didn't have the, the elements right. So I bring him on. Uh, we start working on it. We start filming. We Take, I mean, some of the foot, and I'm the, I'm going to be the director, editor of it. He's doing sound. I'm doing certain sound. I'm using my equipment. Um, there's a lot of things that have to be done in like a week and a half time, right? We get all this great footage, but there were still complications with like working with people for the first time, and uh, the actresses were fantastic. Did a lot, you know, did a lot of stuff on the fly, but. I never felt that the energy was right from this producer or that 
she was willing to understand my process. She, I felt, was more concerned with the end product. But that's not how I work. And some people may like to work that way or feel rushed or feel like, you know, something is, is good. I want to make sure that I feel great about it and I love it and that we both love it and that when our actors are asking questions about the subtext of the story, that I'm able as a director to articulate that to them, not really build the story as we start creating it. And that's, you know, even though there's a lot of stuff shot, that project really had to get scrapped um, because, you know, for one, she would send me revisions really late, like three days before we were supposed to shoot. That's not enough time to like create a shot schedule, become familiar with it, and also approve the, the script. It just doesn't work that way. And I think people who understand the process and the roles that they have, no matter how close they are to it, and the people that they're working with, have respect for that type of thing. So sometimes you're forced in situations that you want to work with people, but you have to pull out for the right reasons. And that's just one situation. So I've got all this good footage of a film that was never shot. And that's happened on multiple occasions where at the end of the day, one of the critical decisions you have to make is regardless of the time investment, and I pay everybody for their time regardless, you have to decide whether or not you are going to release that film or move forward with it. There have been plenty of opportunities where that's happened. I can't tell you the number of stuff that I've shot where the footage looks great, but you'll notice something in the edit. You'll be like, you know, this actor probably should have been in a better place or positioned better, or uh, this this isn't going to work, you know. And sometimes you just can't go back when you're dealing with independent people and people's schedules and the hustle of Los Angeles and go back and shoot things. You know, sometimes the set changes. Sometimes the conditions in which you film are really specific for that day and you would have continuity issues. Sometimes when you're working with a lot of independent people, and which is why it's nice to work with people who are on a project for a certain amount of time and have all this backing because people can't cut their fucking hair. Uh, you know, when you shoot three fourths of the movie, you don't have to worry about the actor or actress the next day, you know, going out and saying, Hey, I'm tired of my hair. I'm going to dye it black, but we still got to, sh- we got to still shoot the scene. So, Navigating the independent world is a little different from the mainstream world, but both are equally as complicated. The studio world, though, is a lot more controlled. People are under contracts. They're obligated most of the time to work with people. There are legal legalities behind it that are more uh, – let's just say this. It's, it's more structured. So – when you're working as an independent, even if you're working with friends or whatever, there is a lot of things that have to occur for a film to get made and to get made properly. And I don't think a lot of folks who are on the outside see that, but I think when you pick up a camera and you decide to make a film, you find out real quick. And what separates some people from others is talent. One is really important, you know, because I can light stuff now. I mean, the stuff that I've learned, lighting, sound, um, 
I'm a, a cinematographer. I came, I started with a photography background, so I understand everything you can imagine about the fucking camera. And I'm still learning, but you know, it's still the same. Some people don't know that, you know, some people think being a director is just having everybody else do everything. I think good directors and good storytellers learn every single bit of the process because eventually if you're on a set and, and things go right, you have to manage all of that. You need to know what kind of lens you're using. You need to know the apertures. You need to know how the lighting is going to be, how it's hitting your actor's face, what mood is it creating, uh, how's the score going to be uh, part of the scene, uh, what's going to happen from one part of the story to the other. Is the pacing okay? Does the, does the story and the lighting set the, the proper mood for the scene that you're framing? How much time do you have? How do we want to block this? What's going to give... The, the viewer the right experience and you've got to be able to articulate that to the people that you're working with because they're clueless on that i mean you have a certain amount of time that you can work with them previously you can talk to them about it on the phone but when you get to set stuff has got to flow really really well and in rush situations it never goes well period there's just no way to get around that and i feel like so many people put themselves in some bad situations even on the independent market where it really is probably better to step away from the project or to allow the other person to step away and, and count your losses because your losses become your gains. You know, you really want to make stuff that you feel good about and it represents the people that you have a responsibility to feel good about too, especially those people that invest their time in your project. But there are other things that people don't see that go on behind the scenes that make the process challenging and complicated or difficult you know you've got 10 people who are like when can we see this film but you know there's one person or one scene in there where you're like i really need to reshoot this film otherwise it's not worth releasing this film because that scene and especially a six minute film can make or break this whole film from being even close to the original vision people don't want to see that they don't want to hear that but that's what that's what cinema is that there's so many elements that make up a production and make it go well when you're on a bigger level, studio level, people got to deal with that too, and there's more money involved. But you can go to your first assistant director and say, hey, can we do this? Or you can talk to the producer and say, hey, you know, this isn't going to work or whatever this may be. And you, you see that. You see those dynamics play out, but you've got more people that can, can change things or make them better. Or in some cases, they completely collapse. Uh, so when you talk about budgets earlier, you mentioned uh, how to not go over budget. Well, I think that's a hard thing to, to dissect because so many things can happen that you're not predicting and or that you need. So, uh, you know, it, it is a tricky thing to navigate when money's involved and when time is involved and when a story needs to be told. Um, hopefully I'm not boring people with this, but there's a lot of dynamics that go on. Another example is I shot a film called Maiden. My God, worked with some great actresses on this film, right? It was an LGBT film, actually. It was my first attempt at doing it. I wanted to tell a traditional story about two people who were in love with each other, and it was going to be a male-female, and I said, fuck it. I want to make it two women. I shot that film. Footage was great. Mm, shooting day wasn't as... It wasn't as... It wasn't as uh, it, there was a couple people on that set that were, I would say, not the easiest to work with, right? 
because everybody's got different personalities and that's a lot of that management. But, you know, when you're working independently, sometimes you don't have those other people there that are like, yeah, you need to focus here, buddy, or miss, <laughs> right? Um, you don't have those extra hands. So you have to navigate that yourself. But you still need to get the performance out there, keep everybody spirited, feed everyone, make sure you get the shots you need, get people out, all that stuff that goes into this production, uh, you know, experiment. Well, that film had one of the best storylines. Was It was really well shot. Uh, I really was thrilled with the, the lead actress that I had chosen for that film. Oh, just a couple of actors were so good. They, were, they had great chemistry. Uh, I love my cinematographer for that. It was one of, the, one of the rare times I actually worked with a cinematographer. I uh, loved working with her. Uh, but, you know, after, after that film was shot, I hated the story. I edited the damn thing, Daniel. I loved the way it looked. I just fell out of love with the story. And I can't, I did not release that film. Now, that pissed some people off, including the main actress who was like, I really want to see this film. So you're caught between, uh, you know, your creative vision and potentially what you have as a, a, uh, a contract uh, with somebody, um, not even really a written contract, but a, a verbal contract that you have with somebody. Hey, I'm going to release this film. I tend to lean on the side of my creative contract, my creative visions on a project. If it's not right, if I'm not feeling it, I'll pay you, and and I owe you that time, and, and I appreciate that time. But if it's not feeling right at the end of the day, I have to be happy with it. And that's the tough call that you have to make sometimes, even if it pisses people off and they go about blocking your ass on Twitter or whatever the hell, whatever their feelings get involved with it, I get it. But I'm a rational person. Come talk to me if you have a question about it. I tell people I'm, I'm a very straight shooter. I'll say, hey, I wasn't feeling it, and that's what I told everyone involved. And sometimes that rubs people the wrong way, but you've got to be honest with yourself and your storytelling and, and the project that you're creating at all times. I think at the end of the day, people will appreciate that more than to watch their asses on a screen and to look at something and be like, fuck, something's missing from this. Or, you know, he didn't really get the best performance on this. And, and that responsibility ultimately falls back on you as the creative, the writer of it and the director of it. And the person that's editing this film and shooting it. Well, actually, I had a cinematographer for that, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it can be a an interesting dichotomy, uh, relationships and personalities that you're dealing with to make these films, especially on an independent market. Whereas on a feature market, you know, you're dealing with professionals that are already seasoned. They'll come in and do all kinds of stuff, and of course, you've got your divas there, and you got your your people that are very difficult to deal with, but. They're under contract too by the studio and they can, you know, the people can get kicked the fuck out. So it's a different set of boundaries that, that make for productions that occur. You know, if a performance isn't right, there's a chain of command that's understood and there's a respect that's understood. That's not always the case on independent and independent cinema. So, uh, you know, there have been projects. and hopefully have a chance to talk about that. I'll talk kind of long, but hopefully have a chance to talk about that. There's there's projects that I've had to reshape the creative vision uh, for reasons that were out of my control in some cases. Some cases they were in my control. But I think at the end of the day, a good creative person does what's right for the project. You don't release stuff, or you don't you, you don't do it just because. You do it because it feels good, it feels right, and you love it. 
And if you don't, if you're not doing it for that reason, what the fuck is the point in doing it in the first place? What's the point of painting something and then realizing halfway through the painting, oh, I don't really like this anymore, but still finishing the painting or releasing it? I think you have to make that tough call sometimes. Uh, it's not just about having a finished product. It's about having products that you feel good about that are finished with the right mindset and energy and your, your heart behind it. And, and uh, yeah, sometimes it's a tough call to make. Um, hopefully that wasn't too much there, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a tricky world to navigate. Uh, are you still awake? Did I, did I put everybody to sleep or what? <laughs> No, that that was a fascinating journey into the mind of Max Cole, certainly. Yeah, I, so. I did want to ask you, since we're on the topic, what is this I've been hearing about a new web series? Yeah, so, uh, and shout out again to my composer friend. I mean, Chris, he's really a unique guy. He's, he's in the UK, and uh, it's cool how we cross paths, because I think uh, you want to have people that you really vibe with, and that's what I'm big on now. I will not do something unless I really vibe with people. I have to make that like I have to make that clear. I don't care who the person is, how important they are. I will cut somebody out of the equation in a moment if we do not connect. It's good to have differences, creative differences, but we've got to be respectful and we've got to trust each other and create things together. And, and it's, that's what cinema is. That's it's a, it's a partnership of creative minds, right? So uh, the web series two web series. One of them was an idea that was sort of developed before. Um, and out of the project that didn't manifest recently, and what's, what's, what's great about the universe, man, and in life in general is, is this, Daniel. Hey, sometimes adversity, the biggest challenges we have in life, and, I, and people have been through some shit. I mean, I know you have, I have, it's what you do with that. It's how you respond to it. It's how you react to it. Everything we do can lead to growth. If we look at it the right way and we change the way our perspective is of it, you can either go one way or the other. One way is, you know, tank and just become a negative person or be in negative space. Or you can use whatever happens that's negative to create something that's positive and to, and to use that energy in a different way. So, I took the energy and, and all the ideas that I was throwing out there in terms of this project that didn't happen recently. And I've, it's crazy how the universe works. It, it really helped shape one of the potential web series that I, I plan to, uh, to, well, to, uh, create here. We've, I've got a few episodes already on paper, uh, talking to my composer about how we're going to approach them. It is, uh, it has elements of, of something that a project that didn't work. Uh, but a lot of ideas that were shared that worked or that I felt worked and that I'm really feel strongly about. So I'm really looking forward to that. I will say this. I can't give away the name right now, but stay tuned as we are. And I say we, my composer and I, because we're going to start there and then work our way through that process. Uh, we are shaping a really unique web series with that. That will be fun. Uh, it won't be, uh, it'll be one of those uh, web series where everything is, is different. It won't be. How a, many episodes? Uh, there's some, yeah, it won't be episodic. It'll, well, it'll, it'll be episodic, but, uh, it'll, it'll, every episode will be different, uh, different experience. They, there won't be, uh, a serialized where it's like, you know, you have, um, episode one leads in the same characters throughout. It'll be completely different. I didn't want to oh, create dude, web oh. series. 
And here's the thing, Dan. I hate that. I mean, I like that. It's cool. I want to do something a little different where I can not be so restricted of having the same people work. In the independent film world, that's hard, uh, to be quite frank. It's a pain in the ass to try to get the same people and they have reoccurring, you know, you got to have the right budget people. And I just don't, you know, so I would rather work with different people and keep the same initial core uh, as it centers around one character. I'll put it that way. And it's horror related and it will be creepy and different and uh, a bit of mystery and be a little suspenseful. So be on the lookout for that. Second is a series that is based on a, some of the films that I had shot previously that didn't really have the space. I was always trying to debate whether or not I wanted to release them as films or as um, a web series. And this was before web series even took off, but I always wanted to not have the restrictions that others have. And, and put myself in a box. So I had held on to these films that were just awesome. I worked with some really cool people, uh, maybe about two years ago, three years ago in some cases. And it's amazing how you can go back in time and look at some of that old footage and what you had done with it and find new life in it. And the, and, and I think skilled people, and, and, I, and I, and not to toot my own horn, but I think if you, you work with good people and you create good content, film is one of those timeless things where it's going to resonate whether you shot it fucking 10 years ago on film or whether you're shooting it now on digital. A good story is a cool story and something cool to watch is something cool to watch. And I feel that these particular films, which will be presented in a series of films called the strange series, the strange, uh, there are unique films that are snippets, short films that, uh, will be all different to it and I will add to that series. I probably have about five of those that have been unreleased that I've been sitting on the footage for a significant amount of time. I have to do a couple things to wrap up some things with the actors so I can get in touch with them. Some of them it's hard to get in touch with people sometimes, so I'm gonna do what I can with them and uh yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to releasing that series of films uh too as well. And the score for each of those films is going to be hopefully done by uh, this composer, uh, Chris, uh, he's just fantastic. And, uh, hopefully, you know, he doesn't, uh, hopefully he sticks around because, uh, the stuff that we're talking about doing uh, will be very, very fun, but I really am going to release those films as a web series in itself. So two web series and music videos, hopefully, which is another pain in the ass, by the way, working on music videos, you go into it, Daniel, and whoever's listening with the intention of working with people, but, in the independent world, and you, you know, the, the biggest question is like budget, right? I talk to so many people about wanting to potentially do a music video. I'd like to do a music video. For, they expect you to work for free, one, and do everything. And then they have no idea of what it takes from a production standpoint, which is equipment, lighting, locations, everything that's involved in a music video. Like, like people see music videos on, on YouTube now and, and you know, um, Oh, what is it? Um, oh, what's that main? Um, oh, geez. Um, not Vimeo, but um, oh, goodness gracious. Um, all the, you know, all the music video outlets. People see these music videos and they're like, well, I want my video to look like this star's video, right? But they don't realize how much money went into that or like a whole production company was behind that, you know? And you have a lot of people in the independent market who want these really wonderful looking videos, which are possible, but you do have to invest. You just, no matter what you do, whether you're a filmmaker, composer, 
cinematographer, photographer, you got to fucking invest. And if you got to get a goddamn, I mean, I work in technology, okay? This is no, there's no rocket science behind what I do. I live in LA. Fucking rent here is between $1,400 and $1,800 for a one bedroom motherfucking apartment. Holy shit. Okay? That shit is nuts, right? That, that, that can be somebody's music video budget, okay? If you got the right director behind it, you can create something great with that. But, you know, how much money does that add up on a year, right? So I work in technology. I work my ass off to come out here, save money, get out here, just to fucking survive, right? You know, you got to invest. And if you're not ready to invest in whatever it is that you do, then you're not going to – you can't grow it. And you got to make sacrifices to do that sometimes. Some people are more fortunate, come from like these rich, privileged backgrounds. And that's great. You know, you have more opportunity to do things if, you, if, that's, your, if, if that's your path, right? But me, I come from like, you know, my sister and I, we shared fucking bunk beds when I grew up. All right. <laughs> you know, I live in Pittsburgh, man. It's not, you know, it's not known for, it's the, one of the best cities to live in in terms of cost of living. Uh, you know, what comes with that, uh, you know, but people aren't making great money there, you know, and I put myself in a position where I could survive in this city for a certain amount of time independently and still do the things I love. And, be comfortable with the resources that I have instead of worrying about the resources that I don't have. And I think that's a tricky thing because, you know, you, you always think about what somebody else has or what somebody else does. I turn that shit, that noise off, Daniel. I just focus on what I do have, working with people and utilizing the things that I do have to create with because the tools that we have can, can, you have an abundance lifestyle. I mean, we're fortunate to have those tools. We have to work within those tools and utilize them to do what we want to do. Or we, if we, if we didn't have them, then that's a different story. But everybody has, a, uh, has the ability to use the resources that they have around them. And it's never going to be enough. But fucking Tom Cruise is probably thinking that the, the millions of dollars that he makes is not enough, right? I mean, nobody's ever going to feel like it's enough. I mean, it just seems like that's human greed. We just never feel like we have enough. I, I don't know. Some people do. Some people don't, but. I'm just saying there's always this uh, idea that we need more. I think it's really important to work with what you have, the people that you have access to, and to find ways to do what you love because you love doing it. The rest will take care of itself and to take calculated risks. But, you know, it's fucking expensive to live in Los Angeles. You know, it, it is a town that will literally kill your ass if you allow it to. You can become stressed out and crazy and jaded and all these other different types of things. And that's an ongoing battle, I think, as a creative in a city like this. But you got to work. And if you don't work, you, unless you're rich, shit. You, I mean, and I think I'm blessed, but, you know, I don't, it's never enough money. You know what I mean? You, you never have enough. And we're all sacrificing something. But you got to keep things in perspective and say, shit, you know what? I've got to find a way to fund some of these films and, 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 some for some people, it's thankful easier for other people. It's not. And I don't think it's been easy for me personally, but I feel that within the time that I've started this experiment and this goal, uh, that things have manifested. I've been fortunate to work with people that have been cool and that have been in the same place as me and some that haven't been in a, some been a more fortunate place, whatever that may be, whatever your idea of fortune is. But I also feel that we both have a like goal in mind and that's to do the best that we can with what we have. And and that's sort of the mentality I have. And I tell you one thing, Daniel, what I think more than anything now is that 
toxic people can get the fuck out. And there's a lot of those personalities. And whoa, <laughs> I'm telling you what, they can get out. And I'm cool with that. You know, I let people eliminate them, let them weed themselves out. The people that you want to work with, the people that like this interview, the people that are really on your side or the people they stick around, you know, they're, they're around. They don't just disappear. You know, they they're even if they do, they're they're They come around because they're 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 their intentions are real. You know, that there's a connection there. Um, those are the people that I want to have in my life. And, and anybody else who doesn't want to be in it, let them leave. I, I feel that way about everything, relationships, friendships, family, whatever it may be. I have that kind of mentality moving forward. I want positive people, people who share, you know, good energy that I can have a good conversation with that, that we maybe we don't even share the same goals. Maybe we're in two different paths of life, but just naturally good hearted, genuine people who are empathetic, passionate, uh, loving people and people experience hardships. And through those hardships, I think you find out who's really on your side and who's not. Because I'm going to tell you, people, even relationship wise, man, I know I'm going on a rant here. There's people that I was with, you know, there was a woman I was dating for a very significant amount of time. And she was, a, uh, she helped with a lot of different things. She was fantastic at times. We grew apart and her interests were so different certain amount of time into that relationship than they were when I met her. It was just like, I saw this girl when she was like in Westwood in a, in the the back room of a condo and barely could afford her rent was like eating ramen noodles. And she became something really big and worked really hard towards that. And I think I helped her with a lot of that process. And at the end of the day, you know, it's interesting to see what motivates people as they become a part of Hollywood and the lifestyle out here and how they go from um, somebody that's just down to earth to almost ridiculously narcissistic. And, and I, and I use that like just focused on looks and money and status and all these other things. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to tell you one thing. The people that are supposed to be there are, are, are there. The people that aren't, they're gone. And, and and really, when you're successful, whether what, what depending on what success means to you, you're going to always attract something. You gotta. It's important to attract the right energy, no matter where you are in your walk in life, and to treat people with respect, kindness, empathy, and passion, and understand that everybody isn't given the same opportunities as others. And it's really important to help people when you can help them, and to um, work with good people and uh, have good judgment and allow the toxic fuckers to get out, you know, let them, you, you can tell who they are and, and they come and they go and, you know, they, they have the same types of questions and usually the same traits and characteristics. You know, you see those people for who they are and um, they, they are really jealous types of personalities. They're very competitive. You, you can tell who they are, let them go. And, and it's good for you and it's good for them and, and let them do their thing. Fire uh, their asses. I <laughs> right and that's the truth. I know I went on a rant there, but we have to be very, very careful of who we spend our time with. One of the best gifts that we have to give people is our time. That's why I'm so appreciative of like moments like this where I get to talk to you because you're taking out your time to bring me on your program ask questions about things, invite me into your world and vice versa, 
but it's it, there's a mutual respect and a, and a, a really appreciation, a profound appreciation for having that opportunity, man. And um, I respect those types of interactions, just like I respect every interaction I have with another human being, whether it be big or small. And, and that's the way I like to live my life with, with that kind of appreciation and allowing the, the bad people, let them lead themselves out by, you know, the, that's fine. Um, and I feel that way about everything. Yeah, that is life. that is incredibly well said. Uh, one thing that I've always said about you, Max, is you have just the most incredible attitude. It is positively inspiring. Oh, I appreciate that, man. I, I really uh, appreciate that. I, I really want to inspire people. I feel like time is is something that we never get back. And I really think about that more now. How do I become the best version of self and hopefully you know, provide a happy experience for others? Uh, too as well in that process and uh, that's at least how I choose to live my life and and I understand and respect everybody where they're at with their life but I, I just appreciate so much and uh, you know I, we never it's all mindset because like I don't know if we ever feel like we have enough but I, I am starting to see through that more uh, because enough is just a matter of perspective um Abundance is a matter of perspective. Uh, you know, we all go through things that are challenging, and some people are absolutely more fortunate than others, depending on what you consider fortune to be. For some people, it's fortune is like going outside and, and, and being happy and having a healthy lifestyle. Some fortune for some people is, is literally being able to walk out of bed. So, it's an interesting world we live in and it's important to understand the fortunes that we do have and how, um, how we're all really here to hopefully enjoy our lives. Uh, you know, but, but life's going to throw us some, some curveballs and we've got to be able to respond to them in a way that's, uh, not toxic or damaging. Uh, hopefully. Yeah, that is but, so true what you're saying. I mean, you, you kind of got to me a little bit when you're talking about dealing with the adversity. You really can just let things drag you down. and You can walk around depressed or beat yourself up and cry about it. Or, or just like you said, you can take that energy and you can actually try to come through. And you can actually do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something that I commend you on, too. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I, I hate to bring up old news, but, I mean, obviously – the show that you had before was a collaboration and I don't know what the fuck happened there. It was, uh, it was from an outsider watching in. i really was, um, felt at a rock. Like it was depressing to see, uh, because, you know, I feel like partnerships should be, um, in a perfect world. One in which people really bring out the best in each other. But I'm thankful that when partnerships bring out bad things, that they end. And I'm thankful that, you know, you are doing your thing and that uh, the gentleman that you were working with is doing his thing and, and you're both happy about doing your thing independently. And, um, you know, I, I was really, uh, I felt like that situation was unfortunate, but I feel like, uh, through that adversity, you know, you both are doing your own thing. And that's as a creative person, I, I really appreciate seeing that more than anything else. And, um, you know, as, as an outsider's perspective, I find those kinds of situations to be disappointing um, because uh, 
so much time is put into things. And I feel like people allow, and we're human, we, we allow so many things to bridge us sometimes instead of bringing us together. You know, even adversity can bring people together. It has. It's, it's part of the human experience. But two people have to want to participate in that. And that is the, uh, and sometimes it's good to not. You know, sometimes it's better to walk the other way. And that's often uh, the best way to go in situations. Yeah, I, I can say it. that I can say that I've been much happier with my life in general since I've had this uh, opportunity to uh, to go out on my own and actually form my own sort of show and, and my own sort of reputation out there. I'm just now starting to starting to kind of get that that real hardcore following and and be people out there are starting to become aware of who I am and. Um, I, I really meant it when I say said that I'm starting to have like a G level fame. Um, you know, hopefully I'll get to a Max Cole level one of these days. Oh, my <laughs> level. That's funny. Uh, I, I think you're doing pretty well, man. I, I you know, me, uh, I don't even know what to say about fame. I, I don't even know, dude. I, I'm just trying to make good films and with cool people. <laughs> the rest of that stuff. <laughs> the rest of that stuff is, we'll see. You know what I mean? I happen to be in Los Angeles and, and, uh, I put a lot of time and effort into it and, and try to surround myself with people who feel the same way. The rest, we'll, fi- we'll see where that leads. You know, you just want to have a bigger platform to do what you love. I'm sure you feel the same way, right? That, that's what it's all about, and to impact more people and to hopefully inspire more people. Like you said, I mean, you, when I talk to you, it's cool because you always talk about inspiring people. And, and, you know, when you say when you're not done, when you're done doing what you're doing, that somebody else feel inspired to do the same. I think that's good energy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and Max, another uh, thing Max, that another we thing definitely got to do one of these days is we got to have our have own little cool. night out on the town and and get <laughs> some of those strip clubs down in L.A. Oh, get God. nice and fucked up. We can get nice and stoned and we can <laughs> spend, spend like a thousand dollars each at the strip club and just pass oh, out. But the, the thing is, strip clubs. We need more than that now. I mean, with porn, I mean, strip clubs are kind of like. It's almost like watching a cartoon now. It's just it, you need <laughs> real sex. Like you need somebody, and, and and just with if you okay, if you're gonna go to a strip club, the best place to go for strip clubs is out of this country, like Mexico. Like I got you know that's that's an interactive experience. I'll put it that way. Whoa. Versus American strip. I mean, here <laughs> do we know, need to get into that now? <laughs> I was just saying. Hell, you could even go overseas and get a couple sex robots nowadays. I'm I'm just saying. I mean. <laughs> you know, a person. Sometimes that's less hassle than dealing with people. But, you know, strip clubs, uh, you know, uh, there's more we can have. There's other things that we can do besides the strip clubs. I'm just saying, Daniel, I mean, the, uh, sure, I, 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 there's, things, yeah. I'd rather, you know what I'd rather do? Here, here's where I'm at. Here's, and I, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. I, uh, I would rather, I'd rather get stoned and to watch a trippy ass, good independent film. You know what I mean? That's, that's my okay, idea. Of a good time. That. Or, or, or to have a, a couple glasses of wine and, and to be a little buzzed and to watch something that's just mind boggling. <laughs> but when it comes especially to the, if we have a couple of whores there. Oh my God. That's outrageous. <laughs> outrageous. Uh, you said it. You said it. I'm, I'm not going to. There was a time when I would probably back you on that. Now I find dealing with. Um, that kind of thing or, or just 
uh, you know, dating in general to be the most difficult and most frustrating experience. Well, let's well, talk let's about talk this. About oh my God. Do we have time? Are you cool? Are you cool with uh, I, continuing? We got to talk about this. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it's bad. D- dating in LA is tough, man. And I think it might be tough everywhere, but here it's another class. Now you will be introduced to the most attractive women in terms of what we consider to be quote unquote beauty in your life. Literally. I mean, in abundance, you can go to CVS. Uh, those that don't have CVS, I think it's everywhere now, but well, you can go to McDonald's and, and you're going to see what America perceives and the world in some cases perceives as a beautiful person, right? On the outside. But for me, it's about the inner core. I have, I've had fun. All right. I'm lucky. I'm blessed. I mean, you know, it's not hard to, to have a physical connection with somebody who looks great or has a great body or all the superficial things that we are pre-programmed to believe is beautiful. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, after all that stuff is done, I'm looking for somebody with substance, man, and somebody that gets my idea of a partnership. And I feel like relationships, especially for men, I'm talking from a male perspective now, are so fucking one-sided that it, like, is crazy. It's like we're trying to force people into a, a, a old, like, a, where do I do it? I'm going to piss some people off with this big time. Okay, I feel a relationship or any interaction should be like you would treat a friendship, a 50-50 investment, right? And you have to think of it as a business, not just with your feelings, not just with the old, the old, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the, the I guess you could call it the uh, flesh rocket. Uh, you don't think that way because um, if you do, you're going to get the results of that. I think it's really important to think about if you're talking about the dynamics. I mean, you can go out and have fun and do all that stuff like that. I mean, it's the hookup culture. Not my thing anymore. Done with it. Been there. Done that, man. It, it, at the end of the day, a vagina is a vagina. Yeah, some are tighter than others, but a fucking vagina is a fucking vagina. And that's all I got to say about that. At the end of the day, both can, are capable of having babies, right? Both feel awesome. You know, different types of vagina. I mean, they feel great. I mean, it's wonderful to have that experience, right? Sex is just amazing. It's an animalistic human thing that is fantastic. Matt, I mean, you sound like you've been acquainted with a lot of vaginas. <laughs> I can only guess I've, from the way I, you're talking. Well, you know, I mean, it's... it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been selective, but I mean, I've I've been blessed in that way. And I, I have to say that it's not about that, though. It It really... For me now, it's about substance and finding somebody who has uh, a good, mutually beneficial partnership and non-toxic, positive mind. Somebody who's positive, I can grow with, who will grow being around me. Somebody who doesn't get in the way. Somebody who stays out of my way, I stay out of her way, let her do her thing. Let me do my thing. And then let's come together and have fun experiences together and see where that leads. That's in, in mutually fun experiences, whereas I think nowadays our society has trained us to become these really weird people where from a male perspective, when I look at dating, it's it's so fucked up. Like the questions that I get, 
what do you do? What do you do for work? Um, it's basically how can you potentially be my husband or my fa- the father of my child and or support my self like a wallet like or and and I get some out here my experience have been so bad with the type of females that I tend to attract I can't stand it <laughs> so <laughs> it's brutal and it you know it's nothing short of looks i mean looks are fine that's that's always been not a problem right you know it's beautiful women i mean it's fine that's great fun experiences but I really want somebody with substance who has a good values now. And if they're talking about being in a relationship, right, or like something that's not an activity partner or quote unquote a girlfriend or whatever, you got to have, you got to be on the same page with people and a mutually benefit. Like if I treat you out, you treat me out the next day. I want a woman who is, is equally as invested in me as I am her. And I think we have the society now that has turned the di- that's created this dynamic that like we have to be in unfair situations in order to gain a woman's love or trust, or for some people it's sex, right? Like, like that's their motivation. You know, it's almost like sex is used as a, as a tool or vehicle in exchange for time or interactive experiences, uh, the way people have been programmed uh, has been brutal. And uh, the, re- the type of behavior that I'm seeing from the women that I might be interested in or I've dated has been so fucked up that I've just been so turned off by it because it's been so one-dimensional. And as, as you know, I think people need to define their roles or what they're going to be. But, uh, you know, interaction and relationship is a series of negotiations. And I find that either it's usually one sided with one person feeling jaded, whether it's the guy or the woman, uh, or it's just it, it, it's it's not there. There's nothing. Um, and I want to have a partnership with somebody who is realistically interested in me other than the things that are on the surface or my potential, even though that's important when you're evaluating somebody, because, you know, you make an investment in somebody, right? Well, that, Time that thing that you said a, a second ago about yeah. a person being in, as invested as in you as you are in them, God, that is so hard to find. Oh, man. It's almost impossible nowadays. Isn't it weird? It's 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 something that men don't talk about often, but... I talk about it. I'm talking about it right now, and I'm glad we're talking about it. It seems like somebody always is, like, chasing the other one, or one person's always being a little bit disrespected, and I know that there are couples that actually find those, you know, those real sort of situations, but it's hard. I can say I haven't haven't found that diamond in the rough yet. Yep, and and it's something you've got to create and want and only tolerate. I have no toleration for any type of relationship that's not 50 or feels that way or at least has the goal of becoming that you know if i scratch your back i want somebody to scratch my back that's how you build a relationship with somebody that's my belief and i don't give a fuck if somebody doesn't believe that i don't believe in this whole one-sided courtship bullshit that people have been taught and movies have just been so pussified into making men out to be like these 
fucking wallets with cocks walking around. <laughs> I don't believe in that. I'm a cock wallet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. I mean, it's 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 something that I feel very strongly about. I believe that if you treat somebody out, they should value your time and they should want to return the same. I don't believe that we have to court women. I don't believe that. I do not believe that. I think the courtship should be mutual. We should be courting each other and valuing each other's time. Because if it were a friendship, you would want that to be the way to be that way, too. Like, I got my buddies. I'm like, hey, man, I got your popcorn. When we go to the movies, he's like, hey, I got your popcorn, too, the next time we go. That's a mutual respect for each other. That's a mutual respect for people's time. That's a, this whole idea that a man has to win over a woman is just not something that I subscribe to. Been there, tried it, done it, don't like it, never felt good about it in the first place. It always felt one-dimensional. I don't believe those dynamics lead to successful relationships. When I look at marriages failing at 70% or 65 and up, when I look at most of the things that I see in terms of relationship dynamics, I don't see that that method is working. I believe that a woman should come at the, to the equation with the same, you know, she can have differences, and that's great. I want her to have differences and us to be completely different people, hopefully have some similarities and like, you know, like values. But in the same sense, be able to become a partnership, just like a business would be the same way. You want somebody who's going to be reliable, responsible, honest, loyal, uh, all the different things that are necessary for you to become oh, a unit. Oh, yeah. I as think. soon as you see any sort of lying or oh, cheating dude. or uh, shadiness, you just got to turn right the fuck around and just dude, walk away. Hell yes on that. And uh, I'm going to tell you what. I was just in a situation like that. I was dating somebody on one of these dating apps, right? <clears throat> and the dating apps are the worst. I mean, <laughs> God, there's so much. I mean, the area we live in is like, there's no mystery, first of all. I mean, there's so much ass out there. And I think it's like a weird, weird world where it's like, there's no mystery. I mean, there's just none. You know, somebody's always going to, if you're looking at the just outside of somebody, you're always going to find differences and bigger and better and whatever you may, whatever you think of that kind of thing, right? I mean, it just it, it, people become objects. Out. It's like almost like a, I call it the fast food menu. It's like a dating app is like a fast food menu. You always go, you can go through it, swipe right, and be like, yeah, I want the number one or the number two, or maybe I just am in the mood for a dessert. Maybe I just want the fucking ice cream cone. It's right? always so the same. Swipe. It's always the same goddamn pictures <laughs> on there. <laughs> I, and it's always the same. Shit. Exactly, exactly. But you're never going to get up. You're never going to, you're going to, it's good for the moment, but you're never going to feel fulfilled at the end of it. It's like not going into a place and ordering a whole meal and sitting down and enjoying the moment like that. That's the type of experience I want, like something that's more gratifying than just fast food. But I was in a situation recently where fast I was dating pussy. somebody. It was like, it was like, I call it like the three month rebound. I was actually a rebound guy in it. I, I definitely believe that. Uh, and it was somebody I, it was somebody I dated um, met on a dating app, right? And it was like it was hot and heavy from the beginning, right? And um, I never had to, I mean, I had never I swear I had that was the best blow job. I mean, she gave the best blowjobs I could ever fucking imagine in my entire life. I mean, I literally, I think my eyes rolled back in my head. I think I died at one point. And, then, you know, I was like having an out-of-body experience. <laughs> I don't know. Daniel was absolutely mind-boggling, right? But she just knew my body in every possible way. When you can have that kind of a sexual chemistry, a physical chemistry, it is outstanding. And folks listening, I mean, I'm, I just keep it real. I'm a straight shooter. I don't care. 
all right, I'm just going to talk. I'm a, I'm a grown-ass adult. I'll say what I feel. I, I don't really care who is offended by it. But, I mean, I do, but, I mean, at the same time, it's going to be me. You either like it or you hate it. But, the, uh, yeah, we had the – it was, like, the best sex. I mean, it was it was ridiculous, man. I was like, oh, man, I still think about the sex that we have for that <laughs> short period of time. That's how good it was, right? So she knew my body like that. I mean, it was just like a lock and a key. Sometimes you just have that. Sometimes you don't have that, which is really odd. But anyways, when you a have a lock it, and a key, damn. <laughs> that's the title of I the was, next movie, A Lock uh, and a Key. Yeah. I, let me tell you, man. Uh, yeah, uh, that was insane. Not only that, uh, it, was, it was one of the first experiences I ever had actually dating somebody outside of my uh, race and culture. It was just a cool cultural experience, too, as well. By the she way, just give a little bit of that away. I, I think for at least two months, I ate every type of Asian cuisine ever. I never oh, ate that much. Wow. <laughs> it was so good. It was great because I love Asian food in general, but it was just a cool cultural experience to date her because it was just a perspective that I never had been experienced. Holy uh, crap. Kinda... I want to date her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it was, we went to every, oh yeah, Vietnamese, Chinese, um, Japanese. We, we had every type of Asian because it was so good, by the way. God, I had the worst gas, though, let me tell you. Oh, my. <laughs> I mean, there were times when I was just, oh, my stomach was a knot because I'm a, like, I, I have changed my entire diet. It's like mostly vegan now, kind of a unique change. It's been one of the best decisions I've ever made. But uh, it was like introducing a lot of foods and I, I just, my body was just like, oh, shit, what is this? And uh, that was fun. But let me tell you, uh, it was a weird situation where she still, and this is what I find with a lot of the people that I would try to date or talk to on a more exclusive level. She still had issues with exes. And I find this to be the case with a lot of people online. Like there's just either get the really straight narcissist, you know, taking all these duck face selfies, there's all these ass shots. <laughs> it's just, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like, here's, and they just might as well just be naked on their profile. And that's, that's what you're pretty much getting right there. Right. Um, then you have people who say they want something and you, you start talking to them and they've got all these issues with like weird dichotomies with their exes, right? So she lived in, um, she lived in Studio City and, uh, it was interesting because she, she was like, it was great because she was so close. So like we would see each other after hours, like I get in, work out after work, she'd do the same. Uh, and she happens to work for one of the bigger entertainment entities, right? Really cool, prestigious. Yeah, she's in a nice position there. She's making good money, I think. But it was things that add up. So she had this really unique relationship with her ex. But also, she lived in a, like a condo. It was cool. Some, I'm like, okay, condos aren't popular for people your age. And okay, you made investments, made some financial decisions that looked cool or whatever. Um, that worked out for you. Uh, cool, whatever. But it was like it was like a his or her sink. In the bathroom, it's, like, it's a lot more space than like a person, a single woman would need. Let's put it that way. So that, oh, it never, it, there were things that were just really weird about that dynamic, right? So she'd talk about how she was friends with the sex and all this stuff like that. And I was like, okay, that's fucking red flag number one. We'll see how this goes, right? But we would still hang out and have fun. And, you know, we went out and it was a good time, right? Then that's great. Had some things in common. Uh, most best sex I've ever had, I think, ever, uh, even with somebody I've been with for a long, long, long period of time. Just, you know, it's nice when you can both be free. Great sex is when both people are free 
and really get to know each other's bodies or just know, right? You know, folks listening, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, like if you're a guy and, you know, she's just sucking. I mean, God, I mean, she could literally roll your eyes back in your head and you're just like, oh, my God. And you come in right and then she's still um, and then, then, you know, sexually, everything just fits right. And, you know, the way you grab her, the way you kiss her, the way you look into her eyes, all that stuff is on point. You know, hopefully painting a little picture here. Uh, so that that was all great. However, there were so many weird things that were starting to happen. And uh, people call it the shit rule. Well, it was like she was creating problems that didn't exist. You ever get that with place with somebody or with a, with a woman and you're like, hmm. everything is going What, what great. type of problems? Uh, making like being mad at stuff or just you didn't call me or you had to go back to your house for a few hours uh, because, you know, you're going to go back to your place for a few hours to take care of some work or, you know, it's like I had a life before, but I'm still spending three or four, a couple of days with you per week, still making time to hang out with you. Right. But just finding things to be upset about. I call it the shit test. And people refer to it as that online. It's like after a certain amount of time, people just try shit tests to, to test your relationship. It's like a power thing, like or control thing or just to see how you're going to respond to it. And I was like, you know, you know me, I'm kind of like, well, whatever. I, I try not to make a big deal out of things. But or it's a test that when they're feeling like something's going so well, they kind of fucking destroy it themselves. Right. Or maybe they it's they're out. You know, people do things for different reasons. You, you, I think you just discover these different weird things with people. But usually with relationships, when you're really in a relationship, there's always that shit test. It's always like, well, you didn't call me or you didn't do this, or I didn't like the way you responded to this. It, it's, it's that turning point where the relationship changes or the interactions between you change, like what you had before, all that great sex, going out, having fun, doing things together. There's that shit test, that moment where it just shifts, right? And it's never the same. Depending on how you respond, though, it, it's just not, it changes things, right? So we had that shit test, and it had to be, it was on a trip. So it was a trip that she had planned. She's like, oh, I planned it. I was like, okay, let's go on this cruise in Newport Beach, right? Yeah, just paint a picture. Hopefully you're, you're still awake with me, Daniel. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm <laughs> hanging in there. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, we planned this trip to New York Beach. And, and I want to find uh, out what, what's Newport going on Beach. with this crazy bitch. <laughs> well, well, I wouldn't call her that. She was a nice woman. Oh, I'm and, sorry. And I, I would not call her any derogatory terms at all. Uh, we just didn't work out. But listen, we went on this cruise, and she wanted to – she uh, decided, she's like, okay, uh, I thought it was cool. She's like, I'm going to book a hotel afterwards so that we don't have to drive back, right? I'm like, cool, that's great. Well, the day comes of the cruise. Well, we ended up rescheduling at one time, which was fine, because I wanted to actually sleep in bed, and I just wanted to stay in bed. And sometimes just laying in fucking bed all day is nice, you know? Sometimes you just don't have to always be active. Well, we rescheduled it the day of. I remember it was so funny because we stayed in bed the whole day. Like, I did not want to get out of bed. Like, it was great sex the night before that morning. And I was just tired. Like, it was a long-ass week. It was nice to actually have that time to just kind of just chill out together or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so she she was really upset about that. Um, but more particularly because I had to go back to my place, change. I wanted to exercise. I wanted to do some things, right? So a couple hours went by. To make a long story short, she was mad and became really upset over, like, us, us spending time apart, 
for a certain amount of time. And because she was more concerned about the trip, even though we still went on the trip, but having that time or things not going the way that she wanted them to go in terms of how she envisioned that trip. And she was about hanging out with me. And I'm like, shit, I'm still spending my entire day or evening with you. That's not promised. I mean, these are all things that we both invest in. And, uh, you know, I thought our attention was in the wrong areas uh, while I was getting to know her. She was really focused on, like, uh, more, really superficial aspects of, of hanging out. And I want to be with somebody, you know, if I'm going to spend that time with somebody to make that investment, I want them to be just cool with hanging out we're, we're, no matter what we do. That type of situation is fucking rare, Daniel. It's very hard that you'll find somebody who loves or I wouldn't even say loves because love is such a bullshit word because love people love based on. I think love is conditional. You know, even kids, if you have kids, you love them because you're your kids. You don't love everybody's kid. You love your kid because you made the kid. It, it also goes back to the thing about being on the same page because I can see what happened here is she needs somebody that she can cling to 24-7 and you actually need to be with somebody who's like a career woman, woman who has something that's going on that's just as fierce and takes just as much of your time as the things you have going on. Exactly. It, it just it does her thing. And, and when we come together, it's just chill and fun. And we're not we're, – we're rational thinking. We're not picking – I don't nitpick at things that people nitpick at. I don't care about that. If, if I'm hanging out with somebody, I don't care a shit if we're eating popcorn or if we're, uh, I don't know, skydiving. It just doesn't – we're just laying in bed. It, that's my idea of somebody who's into uh, me and what I have to offer. No matter what we're doing, we can have fun doing it and enjoy each other's company and not be worried about what it is that we're doing, what time we're doing it, uh, all that other bullshit. You know, that people I'm like my whole fucking life is, is and from from Monday through Friday is set on schedules, getting up at a certain time, going to work, checking in, doing all this other BS, right, that we call life that we have to do, you know, as our debt to society. When I'm hanging out with somebody, yeah, it's cool to have plans and things like that. But if they don't go as expected or whatever, I don't want to argue about that. I don't want to argue, period. I'd rather just have fun, enjoy each other's time, appreciate each other's time, and create a positive experience that's pleasurable, you know, fun, relaxing, whatever it may be, and be cool with that. And I find that um, it's hard to find, like, really down-to-earth women down here that are also attractive. You know what I mean? Uh, attractive and down to earth, a very difficult. Concept. No, it's, it's. I completely agree with you. It, you it you is find very, that, and that's a long story. I mean, to make a long story short, but yeah, that that Well, well that first you have to meet died. them in the first. First, you have to meet them in the first place, and right. then you got to spend at least three months figuring out if they're a shitty person or not, and then yep. you got to start all over again. Exactly, that process is tiring as hell. And to be honest with you, sometimes I would rather just watch my shows. I mean. I don't need somebody. It's a, it's an added bonus. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, and it should feel that way for the other person too, as well. I don't want somebody who needs me. I want somebody who wants to be in my company and vice versa. And like you said, like you go through these, you go through these like three month periods with people. It just becomes a lot of fleeting BS and a waste of time uh, at the end of the day. And, and not a waste of time, but just, you know, sometimes it's just better to, if, if to, to just enjoy yourself and to love yourself, and, and when you're a person that's centered and grounded and love yourself, you know um, you don't necessarily need to date. It's just something that it's nice. Um, we are meant to hopefully 
mate and reproduce and have those experiences with somebody of the opposite sex, but we need to redefine how we perceive those interactions to be. And, and this idea that, um, you know, uh, I, don't, I hate to call, I hate to use the word relationship, but when you're developing or interacting with somebody that it can't be 50, 50 is ridiculous. Uh, and I, and I, and, and I'm, I mean, it's crazy. Um, to think that um, people can't come together, enjoy each other's time together, and that be and that be enough, and not be getting something from somebody outside of positive energy, positive vibes, uh, enjoyable experiences, and then there's always this shift where, where the expectations become nuts, or they're not communicated, or maybe you just find out that that person's just fucking crazy or, you know, what I'm finding out with the dating stuff is like people got some massive X issues, like really bad X issues. Uh, yeah. Or they've been pre-programmed uh, to, to believe that, uh, and this is the females that I've experienced is just like um, they've, they've really are looking for somebody who supplies them with a certain type of lifestyle. And I'm not the one. You know, uh, I want somebody who values who I am as an individual, as a person, as as the the the, the core values that I have. Secondly, is consistent with their communication, their actions, our interactions and experiences together. And then from there, let's see how the other things play out, because those things tend to come naturally in situations where both people are happy. And I find that a lot of the approaches to dating are so one-dimensional. Like, you know, women feel like you have to treat them out. And if you don't, you're less of a man. I'm like, fuck that. You know what I mean? How about you? Why don't you buy my dinner? Why is that? Why is that not? A, why is that not a possibility? Why are we okay with this courtship being one-dimensional? For what? Is it for sex? Because I'd rather masturbate and look at whatever porn that I can look at online or just think about something if it's not going to be fair. Would you want a friendship that's one-dimensional? And people may say, that's going to piss a lot of people off, but I don't care because at the end of the day, you know, you wouldn't, people wouldn't have friendships if they were just one-sided. And if they are, uh, and, you know, then it's probably not a good friendship. So, Yeah, definitely. I, I think if you are getting too much of that, um, not feeling like it's 50-50, that, that it can screw things up so bad. And the best yeah. thing you can do is, again, just turn around and walk away because somebody always comes along. Another person will always come along for you. And if you end a toxic, bad relationship, you're going to get to the next one all the quicker. Absolutely. That's so true. That's so true. That's so true. And hopefully, and what's cool about when you're around toxic people or people that have really toxic tendencies, you can point out things really quickly and those relationships tend to go through phases where they're really hot and explosive and then you have and i've done a lot of work on this type of thing because i've been trying to understand some of these personalities have been exposed to out here and then it becomes a devaluation stage where they're like oh they start to value things and then all of a sudden it's just the relationship ends you know called the discard stage so it's like a three page a three process a three cycle process with especially narcissistic people um people who you know, you know who they are because they're just obsessed with certain things, status, money, images, 
what somebody can provide for them. Uh, they don't really, they, their relationships always crash and burn. Uh, and, and that is a, unfortunately, a personality disorder that's very common. You see a lot of them online. You can tell by the profiles and by the way that they, they talk to you. Uh, and especially when you, you date them, you're like, you know, this is fun, but at the end of the day, this person doesn't give a shit about me. They just care about, you know, what I'm providing for them at the time, whether it's an experience or whatever. It's just that's what it's all about. Um, and you, it's good to walk away from those situations uh, because there's a lot of that out here. Daniel, in L.A., holy shit, it's ridiculous. There's somebody, like I was saying, there was one person I really was fond about. She seemed so down to earth at first, and it gradually over time, holy crap, as I more and more I interacted with her, she became obsessed with like Kardashian society, uh, <laughs> certain websites that were all about fame and crap like that. She became obsessed with money, image. She started studying astrology to the point where she would study the personalities of people she would work with and or date, right, including myself. And she would mold herself into becoming whatever it is that that person, she thought that person wanted. <laughs> That's how deep this stuff gets, man. Like people are, some people are walking around like really wearing masks and not being, um, they're, they're just toxic people. Yeah, and, and to, uh, to add to what I said earlier, just so I don't sound totally negative, if you are in a good <laughs> relationship and you... Do you have somebody that you think is worth it? Of course, that there's nothing wrong with fighting to hold on to a good relationship. Should you have to fight for a good relationship? Ooh, that is damn. You are hitting me with some hard questions. <laughs> you know, but but that's you know, it's 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 something that um, is really worth considering. You know, do you really have to fight for it if it's worth it? Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Should, what I want is somebody that facilitates making a relationship easy and making hanging out with them easy. And I find that even with dating, oh, shit, people are, I mean, uh, the mentality of today's society is different in good ways and really bad in other ways. And it's hard to meet somebody uh, who's got a similar mentality, you know, and, and, and there are a lot of people you can tell who make dating hard by being difficult, irrational, not even logical, or just really flaky. Uh, you meet a lot of flaky people out here, personally. I've, I've just met so many flakes. I can't even tell you. Dating is just goofy as ever, you know, swiping right, swiping left. Oh, yeah. I could go on all day about those. What are your thoughts left. about it? I mean, generally speaking, I know we've talked for a minute here about this. My, but my experience is those, those uh, apps like like Tinder and stuff like that, uh, especially this one called Plenty of Fish. It's all like it's all like overweight single mothers, and they all have way high expectations of the type of guy that they should date. They all think that they should be dating like Brad Pitt in his prime. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. like ten times as many men as there are women on those sites, and you have to be like you have to work super hard at them to even get even the smallest thing going, and then you're lucky if you can even hang on to that. Yeah, I mean, fuck that. I mean, who wants that? Let the other 15 other people in line have it. I, I just don't want that ever. Do you want that? I mean, that's bullshit. Like, why bother? That's a waste of time. You're better and, off doing, like, Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, 
Well, even that's even become an interesting situation. You know, it's just, and I think people have too many options nowadays. You know, people don't really, and we just got to call it what it is. You know, people don't want to build connections with people. They say it, and I think it's great and it sounds good, but the women that I'm meeting, and this is from all walks of life out here. I mean, people from other cities, uh, sometimes other countries, they say one thing, but their actions are totally different. You know what I mean? You know, you talk to somebody, they're, they're, they're juggling like five or six different people. They may be, <laughs> I've dated people who are living with people who are out on a date with me. You, you ever <laughs> had that situation happen where they're, or they're talking to other people and they're, you know, they're, it, I, I remember having a date with someone who was texting some other guy while I was on a date with her. I left that date. Oh, I yeah. Not, the, I those are called date. serial daters. Yep. Yep. And there's a lot of people who love, there's a lot of, you got to be careful because there's a lot of, and this is like guy talk here. And I'm sure it happens for women too. Cause the women, the ladies, I'm talking from my perspective and the male perspective and my perspective as a male, but I'm sure women experience the same thing with men, serial daters, all that stuff like that. It's, it's just people, human relation. We're talking about human interactions here, but uh, for, for my guy perspective, there's that serial dating is real. I mean, Women, some of women just love to just go out on dates. Some just like to talk. You get online, you start talking to people. They want to have a fucking, I mean, holy shit, you talk about everything over like an app. I mean, that's, there's no interaction there. Uh, and then, the, you know, this, it's just a weird society. This whole dating yeah, thing, that, online yeah, dating thing. I, I totally get what you mean because back in the yeah. old days, you had to actually have social skills and you had to know how yeah. to a court a woman and you had to understand the art of seduction and all that and nowadays it's just so quick and brainless and it's just based on looks it's really disgusting and we have a whole generation of people that do not know how to uh, interact with the opposite sex and that goes for males and women i think men and women like we both need to understand each other better and to embrace our differences better but also Make it possible for success. I'm not interested in dating anybody who's not interested in a successful outcome. And the same applies for uh, films uh, as well and life and jobs. I'll walk away from a fucking job in a second. I don't care how much it's paying. If, if, if it's not going to lead to happiness or fulfillment or whatever it is, a successful outcome um, or, or a, a situation that's not going to be toxic, you got to walk away from that situation. Uh, it's just the way it is. Um, and you'll find that you become better in doing that and realizing the situations that are going to be toxic and, and getting the hell out of them. Um, and being comfortable with that. And, uh, sometimes we stay in, in, in really bad situations too long. Uh, and it's important to have rational conversations, not emotions, because emotions can lead to a lot of things. Emotions have led people to go shoot other people. That's not healthy. It's important to be rational in our judgment and to take a second, think about it, and to use more logic in our choices and our decisions that we make, the people that we decide to spend our time with, uh, the conversations that we decide to have, especially there, dating. Yeah, there's something to be said to that, Max, not reacting, especially yep. in anger. Do not react in anger. You will just screw your life up so bad by doing that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It always does. It always can, it leads to some really unfortunate circumstances, and I don't know. Don't you find dating to be challenging? I, I really do. It, it it's just you know, it's like 
you know, if you find somebody who's unique or it's kind of interesting, they've got so much baggage sometimes or so much history it's, or current history. It's hard to find like two people that are just ready and mutually in the same place. You know yeah, what I mean? It, it really is. I mean, you, when you think about it, there's a lot of factors that have to line up. I mean, uh, yep. you date all kinds of people that you're physically attracted to, but that's just appearance. That's just the first thing. But if the other parts don't fit together, like if you have radically different personalities or, or there's just not being on the same page or million billion other little reasons, it's you should never feel bad about yourself because there are so many of those little reasons that can make something not work. Yeah. And what type of person are you with? Are they going to make a big deal out of little things or do they see the big picture? You know, I mean, like, uh, you know, you get, you, can you fart around that person? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Can you just like lift up the leg and blow some ass and, and still be cool with that just person? Don't do that too early on. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what kind of Fuji, let me tell you. <laughs> hey, if it's something that smells good. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's real. That's like real human interaction. If you could find nowadays somebody that's down to earth, that you can just be yourself with, that's not going to try to change you. Like, if you like playing fucking video games at 3 a.m., then they shouldn't have a problem with that, right? It's amazing how people, and I've found this out through dating, how they project their own fears and insecurities on you. So, and you can't be yourself. Like, if I want to sit here and have this conversation with you, I don't want to be with somebody who's going to have a problem with me having this conversation with you. What's the point? Why would I ever want to be with somebody like that? Why would you ever want to be with somebody like that who is like, hey, Daniel, why the hell were you talking to Max until, uh, you know, 1106? That, <laughs> that, why deal with that? There's no, why ever put yourself in that situation? Uh, it's just unfortunate that so many people try to change or impose. You know, what, you know what we should do, Max? We should make this really easy and we should get Russian brides. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my! That would be actually be a. Uh, I've I've never actually. Huh. <laughs> that is interesting uh, proposition there. Well, they say more of those relationships work out than the normal kind. I wonder how much. I wonder how much that is. Though I wonder how what they really feel. I guess there's a reality show in there probably. But I wonder uh, what the. Uh, you know what the psychosis is behind that though. Let's imagine that. Can you imagine? Uh, I, I definitely, definitely could. That would be pretty crazy. <laughs> oh, my. What, what, what do you think about dating in general, though? Isn't it tough? I mean, it's a, I don't know how it is. Yeah, I mean, people, as you can tell, I've I've been on the apps. I've done it all. Um, I think, really, yeah. the best thing that you can do is to try to make it as sort of natural in the sense that make it happen in a in an outlet where it's not specifically focused on dating because then you do get the serial daters and the weirdos and the fake pictures and stuff like that. I think if you yeah. approach somebody on the other types of social media, that's better, especially if you could actually do it in real life. I mean, if you can walk up to somebody in a public place, even if that's at a nightclub or something like that, I definitely think that's probably the best way that you can do it because it just opens up your options so much more. It makes you much, a much more socialized, cultured 
person. So they're, they're really people, even though I know nobody does it anymore, I really do think that people need to start going out again. Yeah, it's a hard thing to do because it's like, where do you go? And yeah. What do you do? And, you know, people have friends that they go with and they don't not normally – they don't usually interact the same way when they're out with their friends and with their. So it's a yeah. I mean, do you think it's a fantasy? Because one of the things that's fascinating when I have conversations with females about what they expect, right? Or and then a lot of them tend to say, "I hope a guy comes up to me and starts talking to me." It's like Prince Charming situation, right? You know what I mean? He starts talking to me, and from there we fall in love and all that jazz. I find that's great for movies. And, you know, cinema's done a great job of really creating that character. But in real life, is that really something that happens? Because, I mean, I see guys hitting on girls at gas stations, for God's sakes, and, man, are they disrespectful. But <laughs> but, but uh, it's something I would never do. I don't think distinguished men do those types of things. You know what I mean? I don't but, – but I do think there's a, a respectful way of talking to somebody in general. And I don't know – what what are your thoughts on that? You know, would you, are you the type of guy who would, you see somebody and this is, you still like an online profile type thing. I mean, you're just seeing them on the physical, right? You're seeing their physical appearance. Would you go up to somebody in a, in a uh, let's use a, let's say a grocery store, right? That's a common fantasy. You know, the produce style, you know, somebody's got the, uh, the old uh, cucumber in their hand and, uh, you know, they, they give you the eye and, you know, you go up. Would you go up and talk to that, uh, you know, that lovely lady? Would you, if she gave you the any type of, would you, do you wait for her to say something to you or look at you? And to, I mean, how do you, how do you interact in that situation? Yeah, what would you I, can, do? I can say that I have done There's that. There's a pick the cucumber, by the way. I have done that a handful. Sexual innuendo <laughs> for those that, sorry. I, I have done that a, a few times, a handful of times. Uh, mostly it's been more through like social outlets, like actually, yep. uh, you know, classes, martial arts classes and mm-hmm. th- things of a that like nature. Interest, a and, shared interest. Yeah. Usually the workplace, I hate to say that seems to be, seems yeah. to be the way that it ha- tends to happen uh-huh. for a lot of people, including me. Wow. You know, that can be a, a challenging situation, you know, if things go south. Oh but, yeah, you uh, should you should never do that. But the reality is, a lot of married couples did meet at work. Yeah, it's kind of wild how that happens. Uh, uh, so you're open to it, you know? What about the produce aisle with the cucumber lady? Yeah, I have done that. It's it's called doing a cold approach when you just walk up to w- women yeah. and and kind of start a conversation. And it does take a lot of balls. Let me tell you, you really have to get um, outside of your comfort zone to actually do that. But yeah, I've done it, and I've I've gotten conversations going. I mean, it, once you get past that fear, you realize that you tend to get a good response way more often than you think you would. I mean, occasionally you do kind of get that, what are you doing, get away from me sort of thing, but you get more positive responses than you would ever imagine. I agree. Um, also, what are your thoughts about a woman approaching you? Because I always, always feel like the dynamic has always shifted in a way that seems to be one-sided. And I know people are going to be upset about that, but I do, uh, you know, I don't think anything's wrong with a woman letting a man know that she's interested in him. I would say that in general, it's actually the the woman that initiates it because she usually starts things off by giving some sort of signal. Yep. Yep. I think in those situations, 
those when that's happened to me, by the way, I find those to be some of the better situations that I'm in uh, personally. Uh, that's interesting that you said that. It's cool hearing your perspective of that. You know, you don't get male perspectives on this often. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the, yeah. the power of this show. Yeah, it's cool. Cool to chat about them. Appreciate you even opening up a space to. But Max, chat. we should finally call this a close because we just went three and a half hours. It's like <laughs> one of the longest <laughs> interviews that. I've ever done. <laughs> it's, it's 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 really awesome. Uh, seriously, I I really appreciate that. Uh, just having these kinds of discussions, probably you know. Yeah, hell yeah, and and we'll definitely do it again, but let me open it up one more time for you because I know you, you still have something to say to all my listeners out there. Go ahead, Max, get up on the soapbox one more time, say whatever you'd like to say, <laughs> and then follow that up by anything at all that you have upcoming, anything at all that you would like to plug tonight. Wow. Uh, first and foremost, thanks for having me on the program, and uh, it's great to see you're doing your thing, and uh, it's just really it. Anybody that's listening, I really appreciate you taking the time out to listen and, and obviously supporting uh, what Daniel's doing with his show. Uh, shout out to that uh, because, you know, our time is valuable and, uh, you know, it's, it's really nice and, and kind. And I appreciate people that invest the time, uh, especially with this creative thing and, and giving a platform. So shout out to you, Daniel, for having me as a guest and for those that are listening uh, in your walks of life. One thing I want to say is to... It, this is more of a life lesson, I think. Appreciate what you have. You may not have everything that you want. Work towards obtaining that, whatever it may be, whether it's happiness, whether it's in some people's material things, whatever it may be that you want, really work hard towards it. Find people that really appreciate you and your time and what you have to offer and who you are as a person, your core values, not for the things that you know, you can provide for them, but for whom you are as a person, the people that, that actually take the time out to get to know you, spend time with you, whether that time is little, whether they have once every three months, whatever it may be. But, you know, really appreciate those people who are genuine, who uh, treat you well and who make you feel good being around. I, I think if you do that and pursue the things that you want to do, do things that you love doing. Love yourself. If you like going to the fucking movies, don't wait for somebody to go. Just go to the movies. I do it all the time. Go see a movie. If you like playing games until 5 o'clock, play games until 5 o'clock. Do things that you love to do and things that move you, that make you feel good. Because our time is not guaranteed. So make sure you spend every moment of that controllable time doing things and being around people and doing experiences that make you happy. I want to send a shout out to my composer Frank Chris. To uh, I'm sure he'll probably listen to this if he can if he can listen through three hours. <laughs> shout out to him as well. We've got some projects coming up that we are crafting right now. Uh, shout out to the people that I've worked with in the past. Those that have come on my podcast too as well. Really appreciate their time and giving them a platform to talk about their projects. You too, Daniel. Obviously, you've come on and, and um, I'm I've, I've been focusing on my work now, creative work and. I'm really excited about some of these projects that are about to be released. Shout out to the people that I've worked with in the past. Uh, those are individuals that I have a great deal of respect for, for good or for bad. Uh, you know, I, I really appreciate those interactions and those experiences because they've led to growth. It's really cool when you watch people that you have worked with or that you are going to work with. You see them in other roles 
that's how you know you're aligned in the right way. So I'm very thankful for that. Uh, and, um, you know, just be positive, folks. I mean, and really look at, take the time to analyze situations and to ask the questions like the what's and don't worry so much about the why's and the how's, but just ask yourself what and, and maybe in the why's too sometimes you got to ask why. But, you know, really take time to uh, analyze situations and to uh, realize that the big purpose is, is often uh, its purpose is a lot larger than what we can sometimes quantify it to be. You know, what your situation is like now may not be what your situation is like tomorrow. So really take time to live in the moment more and to appreciate those things around you. Uh, other than that, um, maxcolefilms.com, a lot of stuff on the horizon. It's funny, I just did a film uh, not too long ago, and it was about my cousin. And I feel like as a creative, I did a lot of safe stuff before and you know, some politically correct stuff, some politically incorrect stuff. I, it's funny, I did a film about a cousin of mine who happens to be gay and how my family interacted with him. And I, and I didn't like certain things that I was seeing. I wanted to bring that story to life. I was kind of taking a family role and, you know, having a gay uh, son. And it's funny because people thought I was gay for doing that film, which was quite interesting. I'm like, uh, no, not quite. But um, it's interesting that w what we do as creatives. Uh, I would say stay tuned. I feel like the best work is yet to come. Hopefully, I'm fortunate enough to have a bigger platform that uh, the people around me, I can also give them something to uh, aspire to be and, and help other people. I really want to be in a position where I can help other people, tell great stories, and continue to do things that um, are honest with storytelling and that make people uh, feel a certain type of way, whether it's good, whether it's scared, whether it, I don't know, films about emotion and, and whatever emotion, uh, you know, whether they feel in love, whether, who, who knows what it may be, who's, who knows where the creative energy may flow, but I really want to make sure that I use this platform responsibly and in ways that are honest. And that's all I have to say. Thanks so much for having me on this program, Daniel. I definitely want to have you on mine. I want to do something a little more universal down the line from a podcast stand, uh, standpoint, um, but I don't even have the time right now to even consider a podcast or anything right now other than some of these projects. So uh, I just want to thank you for having me on the program and, and you know, wish you Godspeed on the things that you do. I would love to come back and to continue this conversation and, again, appreciate the opportunity to speak for, you know, several hours here on a uh, Thursday night about some of the stuff we love. I've got a lot of questions for you too, because I feel like these interviews are one-sided often and I, I love talking to people and hearing their perspective. So hopefully I can return that gratitude again in the future. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, I'm always available for interviews and I would love to come on your program again. I had a lot of fun coming out on your show before. That was one of the first times I did somebody else's show. And, of course, I, I would definitely want to have you back on here. We always want to catch up with you, Max. We want to find out what your latest is, and we always want to catch up with you. So I def I'll definitely be hitting you up to come on again in the future. 